2: This is Mornings with Ian Smith.
3: Morena, good morning New Zealand, Uh, Thursday morning and uh, it's a beautiful day here in Hawke's Bay, I'm pleased to say as uh, I look out the window I hope it's uh, fine and particularly in Auckland where you're trying to dry out in parts of Auckland, uh, I hope that process is going well. We've got a really... Uh, busy and an interesting, diverse sort of uh, Thursday morning, to be fair. We're going to start with uh, cricket, of course, uh, two big games overnight. Uh, going to get Kyle Mills. Millsy is on with us very shortly, uh, and then we'll follow that up with some golf. Dean Murphy is the CEO of uh, New Zealand Golf, has been for a, a long, long time. So just uh, what state is golf at in New Zealand? And of course, what are the rules uh, for the lucky ones uh, of us that uh, can play under Level 3? Paula Tesoriero is uh, our chef de mission uh, for our Paralympics team. We'll we'll be joining her just after 10 o'clock. Then we've got a Christ College vs Christchurch Boys High derby in our panel this morning. Uh, And just after 11 o'clock, get this, the legendary, the great Cameron Smith will be joining us uh, courtesy of SEN Melbourne. Uh, of course, uh, there's plenty to talk about as we get to the business end of the rugby league season. Yep, NRL with Cameron Smith after 11.
0: Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy Sermon.
3: Well, and then there were 11, 11 glorious golds in the Sophie Pascoe cabinet, staggering, and four consecutive wins in the 200 metres individual medley. 12 years of complete and utter dominance. Just think about it, people. And the strategy to hold one's breath in the last 10 metres and hit the wall hard. Well, last night, soon-to-be Dame Sophie hit the wall twice, once in the pool and once just out of it, leaving nothing in the pool and some of her insides on the side of it. A blackout requiring requiring oxygen, togs cut from her body, is there nothing this girl won't give? Certainly, there's no give up. Surrender is not in her DNA. She She's back in the pool today, and get this, her favourite event. And what are the bookie's odds on number 12? Meanwhile, in much drier conditions, the Black Caps were humbled, smashed really by Bangladesh. And about the same time it took Sophie to swim, vomit, blackout, recover, march to the podium and sing the national anthem. And as always, take time for the media in her typically engaging manner. And on that subject, we tried to get hold of the CEO of New Zealand Football to further discuss the insane proposition to change the name of the All Whites. Actually, we've been trying for a while But strangely, he isn't doing media. I might have thought that was part of his brief. He floated the boat. He may well be capsizing in that boat. Let's just hope he remembered his life jacket. So in the days ahead, I look forward to the All Blacks wearing their black jerseys, the Black Caps wearing their black caps, the New Zealand football hierarchy designing something nice and pink and polka dot, and providing the seamstress has done the business on Sophie's swimsuit, Another beautiful Pasco moment. And there's something really special about an even dozen.
1: And that is the completion. New Zealand absolutely imploding. Bowled out for 60.
4: Yeah, obviously uh, slightly disappointing with the with the start. Um, I thought the way we managed to uh, build a little bit of partnership through the middle. Uh, we knew it was going to be tough, and uh, unfortunately, we just keep losing wickets um, at, at crucial times. Really, as soon as we as uh, guys came in, it was uh, too, certainly hard to start, and we knew it was going to be a challenge. We were prepared for this, but unfortunately, we couldn't quite um, put it together today. Yeah, obviously, first game, uh, hopefully we'll take plenty of learnings from uh, from what happened today. And uh, for us, it's about just trying to find a way in these conditions. Uh, obviously, it's completely different to, to what we have back home. So uh, it's trying to assess what a good score is on, on this sort of surface. And, and as we, sh- we showed with the ball uh, tonight, that it certainly isn't easy with runs on the board. So, um, you know, if we can put a competitive total and, and put a bit of pressure on, uh, if we do bat first, then uh, you never know what might happen.
3: So Tom Latham there were some fairly predictable uh, post-match comments there about uh, taking learnings, etc. We hear that from time to time, but uh, to be fair, we haven't heard it from the Black Caps for a while because they've been playing so well. Speaking of Black Caps, uh, Black Cap number 227 uh, is joining us right here and now. Kyle Mills, good morning to you, Millsy. Good morning, Smithy. (coughs) Mate... uh, that wasn't good. Uh, they were nine for four in the fourth over, and you don't come back from that very easily, do you?
5: No, well, I went to um, last night. I, I wasn't planning on watching the whole game, Smithy, but I ended up watching most of it <laughs> because it was over so quickly. <laughs> but um, look, I, I think it you know, it's pretty disheartening to watch, and you know, it, just, it just showed that um, Bangladesh and their home conditions are a few levels above, and plus we don't have our full-strength team. And we haven't been playing cricket, and they're coming off a, a series against Australia. And, and most teams who who do play against Australia, their next series they, they they tend to be pretty good. So, but some pretty fundamental mistakes were made last night um, playing in, in, in those slow turning conditions. Then some guys were really exposed.
3: Look, just uh, for the for those at home uh, who didn't who, who maybe not didn't watch, but, but and did watch and can understand the the qualities or not so much qualities of the pitch, just how bad is it? How how different is it to what we're used to in this country?
6: Well,
5: here in New Zealand, um, there's a couple of factors. The the wickets here in New Zealand are are, are quite bouncy. They're they're consistent pace, and you you can use the pace of the ball to be able to, to score runs and access angles on the park as a batter. And our grounds here, most of them in the domestic setup, tend to be relatively small grounds, which leads to a block type of boundary mentality. Whereas over there in Bangladesh, the wicket's very slow, uh, so you have to make your own pace on the ball um, as a batter. The ball doesn't really bounce; it turns. So you've got a number of factors there, and the the oval is much bigger than, than some of the grounds our domestic cricketers play on here in New Zealand. So. Uh, Ones and twos are really important, and rotating the strike. And so, our young batters, um, oh. and, and most importantly, it's exceptionally hot as well. But um, so, yeah. our young batters coming from here, going over there, to which is completely the chalk and cheese conditions, and with no cricket behind them. So, r- real basic um, things to do when you when you play over in Bangladesh is you want to try and bat your twenty overs. Well, we failed to do that, and when, on slow uh, wickets as a batter. You've got to avoid playing square, Smithy. You know that. When the ball's not bouncing, you're trying to play square. You're going to come into trouble. And I think Blundell last night um, playing square. Uh, Will Young, who's a very, very good cricketer, playing square. Just because these guys probably haven't played too much in those conditions.
3: Well, obviously they have to level the playing field in their favour. I mean, cricket nations have been doing that since the year dot when it comes to preparing pitches to suit your own bowlers but uh, you know when you look at our bowling attack uh, they're only going uh, they're only defending 60 so you know they're probably a pretty hapless job anyway but it was interesting to see that our spinners bowled the first 12 overs and then our three quicks had one over each towards the end of it so uh, did we pick the right team uh, if you look at that well what If say we got 140 150 did we have the right team yeah,
5: perhaps, perhaps if we had one one I think that's all you need over there um, because if you can get early wickets with guys, you can swing it at the top because even though it, it's hot and humid, that, that does allow the swinging ball. So the guys, like a, if they're not there, but a Southie or a Bolt, if they were there, they'll swing that, that new ball without question and that's the, the window of opportunity to, to take early wickets. Um, so over there, I think what they tried to do is just try to replicate that first innings where Bangladesh used spin at the start, had a few quicks towards the end, who picked up a couple of wickets, and they just try to um, replicate that formula. Um, but they didn't just simply just didn't have the runs on the board. You might only need 125 if you can get early wickets. So when you win the toss and bat first, well, first you need to bat the 20 overs. Um, and I think also in that batting order, Smithy, um, Colin de Grunholm came out and batted four. Um, <clears throat> As you know, he's a very clean striker of the ball. and He's more a, the, the finisher, isn't he? When the foundation's been built, he can come in and, and make the most of it. But him coming to four to play a role last night where we lost early wickets to try and rebuild the innings, I'm not too sure if he's that guy to do it. Um, I would have thought your experienced cricketer like Tom Latham or Henry Nichols could have come in a little bit higher to try and rebuild that innings, I and mean, then that could have led to maybe getting a 125 to score.
3: Uh, Well, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure they're going to be able to recover from this, but uh, we'll see uh, in a couple of days' time when they they play uh, number two in this particular series. Let's get back to what Kyle Mills is up to at the moment as well, because I'm really interested in this. Uh, You're the bowling coach uh, for KKR, so uh, I guess you're heading off again very shortly.
5: You head off on Monday with my my, my sidekick, um, Baz, which will be, uh, well, one, there'll be an entertaining trip over there. so, yeah, we, we head over there. We, we have a few challenges ahead of us with MIQ and dealing with the New Zealand government, but hopefully we can uh, get a little bit of lady luck on, on that side of things. And, um, and then once we get over there, we, we're halfway through the competition, um, and we, we, we're we behind the... Uh, we're carrying a bit of weight at the minute. We've only won two, so we need to go on a bit of a winning streak um, in the first three or four games.
3: Right, Key, you're dealing with a pretty handy bowling attack. Uh, most of them are, but you've got... the uh, alongside Kyle Jamison, one of the highest-priced commodities, and and Pat Cummins leading your charge, uh, I assume uh, a lot of uh, quite a lot of Australians in that have pulled out. I, I assume Pat Cummins is still with you, and, and tell us about the rest of your bowling attack.
5: Um, unfortunately, Pat's not with us. He uh, his, oh, his right. partner okay. is yes, is, um, having their first child in the next uh, few weeks, so he's staying at home. So. Lockie Ferguson is our backup bowler to Pat, and he's he's going to be brilliant for us over there. He's been playing over in the hundred. He's in good form, bowls fast, and, and swings it. So he is going to be um, a handful for the opposition. Hopefully, coming forward, um, we have the, the the latest player in India, the, the mystery spinner Varun um, Chakravarty. Uh, he is in, in our group, and he's a, he's a wonderful bowler. Um, bowls fast, spins it both ways, and the the mystery spinner. He's he's become a real handful for the opposition. Um, so he, he's in our group and he's a real weapon for us And he's a, a great aid for um, Sunil Narayan Who's also um, one of our overseas players um, Probably um, still got so much to offer Sunil Narayan But probably doesn't have that sort of threat he had Maybe um, half a dozen years ago But he still um, assists our bowling group really well I mean, our, our local guys in our fast bowling department Are just young, enthusiastic, really fit um, all bowl, good pace and uh, a really enjoyable group to work with.
3: And keen to learn, I would imagine, Millsy as well. Now, most people that remember Kyle Mills uh, in Black Caps uniform will remember Kyle Mills bowling the first over of uh, most innings in in terms of white ball cricket in particular uh, because you can swing the ball, Millsy. That was uh, one of your great traits. So um, what are you you working with, bearing in mind, of course, uh, the dry conditions over there? What, What are the kind of things... You have to work with. I mean, is change of pace much more a thing than when you were actually playing?
5: Yeah, look, the variety of skills is is really important, and the game just keeps advancing. I've been out of the game for about six, seven years now, and it's advanced again with the, the skill set you need. Um, I guess, having to put back to what I kind of did, I guess I swung the ball, but my whole game plan in theory was to build pressure. I, I I believe cricket's a pressure game. The bowler's trying to put pressure on the batter. The the batter has pressure to try and increase a scoring rate. So if we can try and... Yes, you you like to have variations and um, swing the ball and and have pace, but you can actually uh, set a field. If you can set a field and bowl to a field and build pressure, the batsman has to make a play. Um, And that's kind of the angle I come from a lot in in cricket. If we can have a group of bowlers to, to bowl as a group, helping each other out, build pressure, and try and um, force the bats into making a mistake. Now, that doesn't always go go to plan because you bowl against some very good opposition and and some good batters who would put pressure on you as as a bowler. So then it's that mindset of a bowler to to have a solution. So if things are going wrong, what's the solution for us to to get out of the over? So that's kind of, I guess, my mindset when it comes to to my philosophy in, in T20 cricket bowling.
3: Milsie, um you're part of a, a pretty handy bowling lineup yourself, but have our bowling stocks been stronger? I mean, I, I look at, I look at the the number of bowlers that we've got at our disposal here, particularly in the quick bowling area. You know, the, that aren't even included in some of these black cap lineups. So, I, I, it's 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 quite baffling how it's all of a sudden come about this golden era.
5: That's incredible. I'm, I'm certainly glad I don't play now, Smithy. <laughs> Wouldn't get a game, but. Um, yeah, the, the depth is brilliant. And I think you probably have to tip the hat to, to New Zealand cricket here and their high-performance program. Um, the guys are, are a lot fitter, and I think they, they train on that, that fitness components um, a lot better than certainly when, when I came through. And, um, and just like anything, you think of the Australian cricket team in, in the 90s and 2000s. They were great because there was depth. There was always competition for spots. Um, the All Blacks are always great because there's depth. And I just think we're kind of getting that, even though the Caps were poor last night. But I think there's a group of players, especially in that fast bowling department, if a couple were to fall over, you'd be more than happy for the next two or three to come off and convey about it into that group. And um, So they're certainly doing some good things in, in the pathway, I guess, within New Zealand cricket. Uh,
3: just finally, Mills, I'd, <laughs> I'd love for you to, um, uh, to just pass a comment on one of the greats who retired in your department uh, just recently, Dale Steyn. Some people say one of the the greatest bowlers of all time. Certainly, I I believe, out of South Africa, even better than uh, Alan Donald. But, you know, 93 tests, 439 wickets a 22.95, a very proud uh, and well-achieved white ball career as well. (coughs) Um, You'd have played against them. Just how good, how competitive was Dale Steyn? Well,
5: I used to love playing against him and watching him play because he was so fiercely competitive and he showed that emotion on the park. And that's, I think, why we like sports people around the world, or individuals, I guess, when, when they do show that emotion. And you, you always knew he was in for the fight and he, he expressed that. Then he had, he had pace. If you've got pace, you, you, you're a real threat. But some people who do have extreme pace like he had don't necessarily have the control, but he had the control to boot. So he's, he's got pace and he's got control, and then he could swing it. And <laughs> He swung it consistently well for for long periods of time as well. So he had three assets to his bow, which um, made him a, a phenomenal bowler and a, a real wicket-taker for his captain to get over his time in um, Graham Smith and A.B. Villiers. You could always rely on him from, from their perspective, I guess. And, and when you played against him, he was always a guy that was discussed in, in team meetings, how are we going to counteract uh, Dale Steyn? What are we going to do to nullify him? How are we going to score runs off him? And he just had that presence about him. Look, not not an overly big guy, quite, quite um, similar build to, to Trent Bolt maybe, but um, uh, a phenomenal cricketer and, and, and fiercely competitive. And, you know, I agree with you. I, I, when you talk about fast bowlers from South Africa, you think of Alan Donald. Mackay um, and Tini, but I th- and Pollock but I think um, Stain's got a, perhaps a few legs on them
3: Thanks Millsy for your time this morning, uh, most importantly travel safe and uh, most most importantly make sure you have some luck with that MYQ, I know you've had issues in the past so let's hope you don't have a repeat of those boy
5: Good man, cheers Smithy, go well mate
3: yeah, cheers. That's uh, Kyle Mills, folks. Uh, always good uh, to talk to Millsy about the art of uh, fast bowling, swing bowling, etc. And interesting those comments too about his theory of building pressure. Very, very good. Nine twenty here on SENZ. Uh, your text, please. Eighty-eight thirty-three. Uh, give us a call if you want. 0800 150 811. Just how proud are you at home of uh, Sophie Pascoe? I mean, you know, obviously the Paralympics are always overshadowed by the Summer Olympics. Uh, They're always going to be that way. But uh, does this girl, this incredible achievement by this girl and the team as a whole, to be fair, uh, does that even the balance for you? I mean, her name is in lights every single day. She does something, something spectacular. Uh, You know, it's just, it's a dynasty. It's Phelps-like. In terms of swimmers, it's Michael Phelps-like.
2: That's how good she is. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Yeah, 925 here. Great sermon on Sophie Pascoe, says, Read from Gore. really like uh, your contributions to all our shows, actually. Uh, read uh, Sophie Pascoe, the best we've had yet. Yeah? We always get a bit knee-jerky when uh, people do something wrong. We tend to make quick decisions and quick statements about them, but I don't think uh, in any way, shape or form, any sort of praise of Sophie Pascoe is uh, knee-jerky. It's just absolutely so well-deserved. Uh, G'day, Smithy. So with you, I think Sophie is one of our true champions. I am so on the Sophie Pascoe fan club. Should have been the overall Halberg winner by now. Uh, Another goal today will just cement how amazing she is, not only as a sports legend, but uh, an awesome Kiwi. Cheers for that, John. Yeah, I'm absolutely 100% with you on that as well. Um, It's an interesting conundrum that the the judges had uh, leading into it now, isn't it? Uh, Lisa Carrington, Sophie Pascoe. Um, oh, look, I I'd hate to be on that panel having to separate those two for a start as well as some of our other magnificent achievers in this calendar year considering you know we've been locked down for some of it, we haven't been able to travel overseas some of our achievements in sport have been simply uh, magnificent. Uh, Jenny says, yeah, from a woman's point of view, I just could not be prouder of Sophie Pascoe um, you know, she is for me just so absolutely special um, and another one from uh, Bill from uh, down there in Masterton, Bill is saying, uh, I watched last night, I just could not believe um, you know, the, the aftermath of it and the fact that she's going to actually turn up again today, so uh, thanks for that Bill. Thanks for your contributions everyone, 8833 0800 um, 150 811 is our phone number, John um, uh, just continues to amaze me. And I would make no apology. I make no apology for bringing her up every single day at the moment because uh, soon uh, these Paralympics will be over and it'll be cast to memory. So, um, But no, uh, Dave from um, Karaka says, uh, good morning, Smithy, yes, Sophia's is amazing. She really empties the tank through guts and courage. Well, she really emptied it last night and then turns around and speaks to the media um, like, you know, n- nothing Nothing happens. I mean, uh, you know, John, I believe you got a, a quote or two from it this is stabbing and this sums up the skill for me
1: really
0: left it all out there and i even left some on the side of the pool but <laughs> um that's what a fight's all about right and i really wanted it i really wanted to make this a four pe and uh yeah it just came down <coughs> to that last 10 meters not breathing and that just goes that comes down to the skills that Rolly and I have been working on um, for many years doing this race. I can say you've just witnessed my last ever 200 IM. Uh, I will be cutting the sk- the events down now for myself, uh, so it's nice to obviously finish on um, a positive and with a goal. I'm, I'm, I'm proud, I'm proud of myself, it's I, I really dug deep in that and I think everyone witnessed that and I'm so lucky to have Matt and Megan just on the side of the pool and, you know, getting me to medical attention and then obviously having IPC move the medal ceremony delayed for myself. I mean, that just goes to show the respect that they have for the athletes on how much that we do give.
3: What a a most gracious human being. I mean, goodness me. Uh, I mean, you look look in the dictionary role model, uh, you must just see Sophie Pascoe's name next to it, surely, John.
2: Yeah, it's, it's inspiring. I mean, what a week. She's had the last seven days, four medals, uh, passing out, uh, winning a bronze, and the disappointment she had from that, from winning a bronze... <laughs> like disappointed to be on the podium, then to bounce back with back-to-back gold. She'll be back in the pool today. We've talked to Rolly a couple of times, her coach. He's just as inspiring from his hospital bed. It's just been an amazing story, this one, Smithy. I'm getting goosebumps actually just thinking about it and just um, really looking forward to uh, speaking to the chef de mission later on just about Sophie. Uh, Paula Tesserio, she actually competed with Sophie back in 2008 and that's when Sophie Ooh. first won that event last night, Smithy, that individual medley won it in 2008 Uh, 13 years later she's won it four times in a row just quite incredible, Smithy
3: Yep, quite incredible awe-inspiring, awe-inspiring 9.30 here on SENZ
2: (laughs) SENZ 9.33
3: here on SENZ and it's time to talk uh, a little bit of golf and I'm very pleased to say we've got Dean Murphy on the line with us. Uh, Dean is uh, the CEO of New Zealand Golf, has been for uh, over a decade now, so uh, obviously Dean, uh, good morning to you. It's a a job you've thrived in, a job you've enjoyed uh, over that period of time. How much has the game grown during uh, your time at the helm? Good
7: morning, Smithy. Um, Look, it is uh a you know, over a decade in a job, you're going to have to, you know, be someone that loves it. And that's certainly the case for me. Um, uh, how lucky am I, mate? I get to live and work and breathe and talk about golf all day long. So um, yeah, it's great for me. And look, over the last decade, golf's really, uh, I mean, everyone involved in the game or in the of the game will know that it's, it's, it's really grown a lot. The profile has really increased. We've seen way more players come to the game. And you know golf's really on a, um, on a big high at the moment it has been for a few years, so it's, uh, it's all happy days right now, and even better that there's people out playing golf around the country right now.
3: Yeah, that is the uh, I want to get to that shortly actually, but uh, I want to just sort of uh, touch on the, on the strengths and, and things that around New Zealand golf, the setup itself. Now a lot of people look at uh, New Zealand golf as one body uh, the, the other body of course, is the NZPGA, which is uh, what, more designed or run by professionals as such. Could you explain the difference? Uh, for those of us who aren't at Ofe with that?
7: Yeah, well, a lot of um, people will be familiar with, um, you know, players' associations in, in sport and the, the NZPGA, it's not a bad way to look at it. They're, they're the body that looks after the professional members and the, the, the players or the coaches who effectively have a, a membership um, union, a membership body that looks after their interests. So... Kind of very similar to the rugby players or cricket players association. they are um, they're a, a great body who do great things looking after their professional members, who all voluntarily opt in to join them. Um, they do a great apprenticeship and you know help help train and um, bring through coaching professionals and you know professionals who go on to lead clubs in all different parts of our sector. So kind of like a members um, members players association is the best way to think of it. And uh, golf New Zealand, that's the company I work for, is the the leadership and governance um, body for all of golf.
3: So that governs uh, all amateur golf and all, all um, golf courses around the country as such. I know there's been many new golf courses that have been built by mm. private enterprises, Julian Robertson's, et cetera, that have been building around the country. Do you have jurisdiction over those privately owned ones as such as well, New Zealand Golf?
7: yeah all clubs in the country are members of our organization and the extent to which we work uh, with uh, clubs varies um there's you know nearly 400 clubs around the country and we probably work with you know, a couple of hundred of them very, very closely every day and, and do lots of work with them. And there's there's others that are pretty self-sufficient and don't need much help or support. Um, the the ones at the sharper end that you talk about, the sort of private developments that sort of are right at the sharp end of golf in New Zealand and really cater for that, that real elite end of golf and and, and travellers and tourism and all that sort of thing, they, um, they have a relationship with us around their course and handicap system and you know rules and all that sort of stuff and um we do our best to help promote them on the world stage as well through the the tourism offering so they're really important and you would know um there's been quite a lot uh, of new development in New Zealand in the last 10 years and you know well over a billion dollars worth of private money gone into developing golf course facilities and it's actually only there's uh, three or four more on the on the construction table right now and uh you know, it, it's so cool for the, the golf sector in New Zealand to see all these wonderful world-class golf courses being built by private individuals tapping their, their private tin into it.
3: Obviously, in the past, Dean, um, you know, we've had some great golf programs for the youth of New Zealand. I mean, you only go back, uh, well, it must be about 20 years ago now, maybe even a bit longer mm. to that wonderful program at one point that Rotorua Boys High had, which produced so many Uh, terrific Eisenhower players, etc., that have gone on to professional careers. Uh, These days, uh, we tend to be a little bit concerned about what direction our youth are heading into. Rugby numbers are dropping, cricket numbers are dropping, Uh, the concern of Mm. drop-off in certain areas, certain age groups. Uh, How's golf looking in that area? Because, you know, in all seriousness, that is the future of the game.
7: Yeah, it is. And, And that's, I think, and I talk to our team all the time, it's the thing we should be most focused on is, in the next generation to play this sport because sooner or later you and I are not going to be around and we'll need the next generation to play. Um, you know, New Zealand has seen a reasonably static golf number for young people for quite a number of years. Um, we got ourselves organised and put a new programme in place a couple of years ago for um, what we call Futures. It's around getting more more kids playing for the future of our sport and we've seen about a 50% uplift in numbers in the last two years, about 48 So. Uh, big big uplift in the last couple of years but it hasn't been great for our, for a wee while and we're you know something we've quite focused on and that you know the the amount of playing numbers you have as young young people does have a correlation to the number of people you get into development programmes and then out there uh, on the world stage and we've got some amazing young talent right now um out there, you know, in the throes of making in that next step and I'm excited to see what'll happen in the next year or two. But There's no getting around it. We need far more young people playing the sport uh, to get far more people on that development pathway and out onto the world stage and something we're pretty focused on.
3: I think like all sports, uh, they need role models. We've certainly got some role models in golf, particularly uh, with Lydia Ko, Ryan Fox, Danny Lee, which brings me to our next question. Often people uh, have asked me just in the last uh, month or so, how come we only had uh, like one of each in terms of our Olympic program now? Can you explain the qualifying for that? Where America could have four or five players, or four players anyway, we could only have uh, one of each.
7: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fiddly old qualification system, and that it's 60 people make the field for the men's field, and 60 for the women. Um, and you can have a maximum of two per country, except if your players are ranked in the top 15 in the world, and then you can have up to four. So you saw it in the men's field uh, for the Olympics. There was four Americans in the top 15 in the world, so they got to send four along. In the women's field, you saw four from South Korea and four from America make up the field, and they all were inside the top 15 in the world. So um, part of that, I think with the Olympic field, they're trying to get a good number of countries there, but they're also trying to get the very best players. So there's a bit of balance there in trying to put that field together. Um, we actually had uh two males qualify. Um Danny did qualify as well, however he broke his rib and was injured and um couldn't get out there. So it was just Foxy teed it up for the men and of course Lids did so great for the women. Um hopefully next time around in Paris we'll have a we'll have two of two men, two women. Um we've got a couple of uh, women knocking on the door of LPGA and, and hopefully one of them gets up and qualifies and we see then certainly a number of men who are Really, to take that next step, and could be um, could be well within the uh, um, you know the realms of qualifying next time around. So, fingers crossed for Paris. We see two there, but yeah, um, up in Tokyo, just the the one on each side.
3: So, Dean, um, I, my apologies here to uh, those people living in Auckland and Northland at the moment, but mm. the rest of the country, fortunately, are allowed to play golf under level three. Can you just go through for those people that aren't aware and maybe considering now? Getting out and and playing some golf, getting some exercise. Uh, tell us uh, the rules and regulations around level three, just to, to clarify a few points, please.
7: Yeah, it's we're really lucky that we can get our golf courses back open at, at level three. And um, I tell you what, the people at Sport New Zealand and the Ministry have done a great job with this, and uh, we're pretty thankful. But the there are a heap of restrictions, and that's you know, I guess part of life now. But to play golf at alert level three. All the facilities at the golf club are closed, so the house and pro shop and all that sort of stuff. You can't go inside there. Um, You can do click and collect and pick up stuff if you need it, but um, just can't go inside the premise. So that's the first thing. The second major thing is that you can only play on your own or within your bubble, whatever that bubble is. That's the only people you can play with in your group. So we've seen yesterday a whole lot of people playing as you know families playing together or husbands and wives or people out there playing on their own, but... It is limited to whatever your bubble is. That's that's all you can play with in your group. Um, some other things that we have to do at level three are um, we can't have pin flags out on the course, um, which is just about minimising touch points. So things like bunker rakes and pin flags, and uh, you know all the ball washing stations and drinking fountains, all that kind of stuff, they're all off the course. But uh, the good news is you can get out there and, and play golf and hit the ball and get out and enjoy the fresh air and um, get out of lockdown, which um, I tell you what, the courses were packed yesterday. It was amazing to see people. And, um, I think being locked down for a couple of weeks uh, certainly which everyone's appetite for getting out there.
3: Hey, Dean, thanks so much uh, for clarifying that, for people considering it. There's still plenty of opportunities, and uh, hopefully... Um, some of us uh, might be down to Level 2 in Auckland down to and Northland down to Level 3 very shortly, so uh, many, many more golfers can get back to what they enjoy doing most, and, and also thanks so much uh, for uh, just enlightening us to uh, the state of golf in New Zealand at the moment very informative, uh, thank you and go well
7: Good on you mate, thanks
3: Yep, cheers, 9.43 here, uh, that was Dean Murphy, the CEO of Golf New Zealand and a uh, very lucky man, he says to be in the job a job that he loves for over 10 years, texts uh, and calls uh, would be appreciated. 8833, Sophie Pascoe, man, special. What about golf? You're going to get out and play some golf? Uh, what do you make of uh, of those rules there? Um, and also, uh, of course, uh, we've got a multi coming up before 10 o'clock. Tale of woe and a tale of go. That's about how I sum it up at the moment.
2: You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: 9:48 here as uh, we head uh, away through between nine and 12 this morning, reviewing things that happened overnight. Uh, looking forward to things uh, that are happening this afternoon, particularly more with the Paralympics, and we'll be talking to the chef de mission after uh, 10 o'clock there. But uh, let's uh, look back at what happened last night in the cricket. We know that the the Black Caps were humbled for 60, uh, that equaled their lowest score ever in T20 cricket, and uh, Bangladesh were able to knock it off fairly comfortable and 15 overs. Uh, but uh, in England, of course, uh, the New Zealand women's team, the, the White Ferns were up against them. Now, this is an important tour because they have to start winning some games, get some credibility because they're hosting, of course, the Women's World Cup in the 50-over version next year. It's going to be a huge event. And, of course, they, last time it was here, they won it. Uh, so they have to find some confidence and, and some strength. Um, so this tour is uh, important for that. Uh, England batted first, 184 for four, and their 20 overs, John. Tammy Beaumont, 97 off 65 balls, 13 fours and 1-6. Now, that is an incredible no matter who you play for. And yep. um, that set them up with their 184 for four, and New Zealand never really got close, because uh, if they don't get runs out of uh, Devine and Bates, then uh, particularly at the top of the order, they are always in trouble. And uh, Devine out for two, Bates out for one. Uh, game pretty much over, even though weight. Uh, was able to score 43 for us in the middle order. Ah, uh, man, that uh, that's a bit concerning for me. Uh, and I, I like focusing on um, on women's sport, and uh, that means sometimes you have to take uh, the microscope out to their performances as much as you do the men. Uh, they are professionals as such, but uh, they're on a horror run that has to stop.
2: Yeah, man, it's been they're losing touch with the top four in world cricket, Smithy. Definitely with the top two in Australia and England. Uh, England are just. Dominant India's really risen their game lately, and in South Africa too. I think they came over here not long ago, a couple of seasons ago, and uh, were more than a match for us there as well. So the white ferns, we we see these players play so well, like in the Big Bash, and even domestically in the mm. Super Smash. Uh, Sophie Devine like kills it, absolutely kills it, um, but she just hasn't been able to make any runs. They don't have Amelia Kerr on this tour obviously who's world class but you can't just leave it up to one or two. It's got to be the total team. I know Susie Bates is just back from a bad shoulder injury but that top six seems to be a real big concern for me. Smithy, Katie Martin doesn't get the runs maybe that she should as a wicketkeeper batter. Maddie Green is too inconsistent there at number four or number five. It's just we're just not producing the runs. is it? We've changed the coach, you know, um, got rid of Haiti Tiffin and brought in Bob Carter, and it's been the same results, just underperforming over and over again and losing touch with the top four, and this is a sport that a lot of girls are aspiring to now, as women's cricket, and they're seeing their national team uh, getting beaten quite regularly. So I don't know what the answers are, Smithy, but um, they're not finding them at the moment, and this could be a long tour I know it's game one um, they've had a couple of warm-up games but we've got to got to get better than this well also of course I've uh, lost uh, two players at times
3: that, that we know of there may even be more uh, behind the scenes with uh, having to take time out from the game the pressures of the game the pressures of touring and the competitions that they play in uh, particularly the, the likes of Sophie Devine and Amelia Kerr who are in high demand uh, playing for franchises overseas so their calendar is very very busy and because you're in high demand and you get paid pretty well, a lot is expected of you. Uh, that's no different in men's sport either, by the by. But, um, you know, and, and that's a shame. I, I think we need our best combination available to us all the time. That's one of the first things that we have to consider. So getting them all fit and healthy, uh, particularly in terms of that World Cup coming up next year, I think is the number one priority. But they've just got to plug on and start getting... Um, winning is grinning, and, and winning can be a habit. They've got to start the habit very soon.
2: Voice of sport in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
0: You got to know when the when fold up, Smithy's multi. Know when
3: to walk away and know when to run.
1: Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
3: Well, yesterday we went uh, with some Mexican football when the, the, the Nardos, uh cleaned up Cimarrones de Sonora. Uh, that was quite comfortable, so we, we got that one home. Uh, the Padres did beat the Diamondbacks uh, 3-0, so we got that one at home. So then we uh, tuned into the tennis from the US Open, and the number 14 said we had uh, playing for us, uh, the Australian Alex de Minor and he was uh, beaten by the American Taylor Fritz in four sets. So that let us down badly. Uh, that was 5.63 in the offing and uh, it was close but not close enough as they say. So today we're going to, well um, tonight first of all, to uh, the NRL. Uh, crucial game this, the Raiders do have to beat the Roosters but I don't think they will. So I'm going to go the Roosters who are uh, slight favourites there at a buck $1.70. Uh, cricket, South Africa are playing Sri Lanka tonight in a one day international and, and I believe that uh, South Africa will beat Sri Lanka. They've got immense problems off the field, South Africa. Uh, but they still have a very strong, powerful side on it, and uh, seem to be playing through all these issues. Uh, I think they'll win at a, a buck 53. Uh, and in tennis, which uh, is uh, due to begin, uh, I think in the next uh, hour, or hour and a half, anyway, there's uh, rain on the outer courts at the U.S. Tennis Open as we speak. Uh, but Diego Schwartzman uh, to beat Kevin Anderson, the South African, so it's an Argentinian to beat a South African. That's uh, at a dollar 46. So the return on that would be $3.80. The record has not been great. Later this morning, we will have pacing for purpose. Of course, if have uh, been given the opportunity to have a pacing or a harness bet. Uh, we'll let you know uh, what our one will be this morning. It's uh, all about the, the Cambridge tr- uh, Cambridge harness tomorrow night um, and at, at Friday night there in, uh, just out of Hamilton. So, yes, we've got racing back in New Zealand. Of course, that includes harness racing. So uh, our charity is Women's Refuge. So we'll put the money on and hopefully we'll get some money for Women's Refuge. I think Staffy is leading in pacing for purpose at the moment. Uh, just reiterating our text number, it's double eight, double three. Yes, double eight, double three. And uh, if you uh, choose to send us through text on Sophie Pascoe, maybe Sophie the Fine, maybe the White Ferns, if you've got a feeling about there, or maybe the Black Caps overnight. Not too good, was it? Anyway, after we were at 10 o'clock Paralympics, strong on Power Olympics. The all-new
2: SENZ <S-Z> is Kiwi for sport. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well,
3: some great stories out of the Paralympics. Olympics, not just Sophie Pascoe. Hopefully we'll get through to the of Mission very shortly, just having uh, issues with... The Tokyo phone lines, uh, and has that been a common theme in the last uh, six weeks or so? But however, Daniel Aitchison, of course, she snared her second medal of the Tokyo Paralympics, a bronze behind a world record 100-metre sprint from China's Shi Yi Ting. You've got to be very careful how you say that. Shi Yi Ting, uh, the 20-year-old from Patongata, um, or Patatonga, sorry, Patatonga in uh, Waikato, added... Uh, Bronze to her silver from the 200 on Sunday, both times um, behind uh, the flying Chinese athlete. Uh, Her journey to the Paralympics, uh, Danielle has been an inspiring one. Born with severe jaundice, cerebral palsy, and 80 to 90% hearing loss. So the odds absolutely stacked against her. Absolutely stacked against What an amazing story she is. So I'm pleased to say we can join uh, Paula Tesserero. Uh, on the line now, Paula's is an amazing person in her own right. She's uh, a gold winning, a gold medal winning cyclist from the 2008 Paralympics. Um, but, but she's uh, the head of a team that has currently collected four golds, three silvers, and three bronze. And I'm sure she's smiling from ear to ear. Uh, good morning to you, Paula. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your time.
8: ora. Uh, thanks for having me.
3: Uh, Paula, first of all, can um, you know some of the scenes uh, after Sophie's? Uh, great performance last night, were a little bit concerning, the, the blackout, etc., the, the medical, treat, uh, medical treatment she was getting. Um, what's the latest update on, on Sophie? Bearing in mind, of course, she's very keen to, to start again today.
8: That's right. So, uh, welcomed Sophie back into the village and it's still quite early here in Japan, so I haven't had an update this morning, but as uh, at very late last night she was um, having dinner and a very late dinner and uh, she was recovering
3: well Well that is great news because she's so inspiring for us and long may that inspiration continue. So you are in the team with her back in Beijing some 13 years ago when she won the first of her uh, individual medleys uh, over 200 metres. She's now won that event four times in a row Just, just how incredible uh, do you find her on a one-on-one basis, and, and her performance?
8: Oh, look, Sophie is just an incredibly talented athlete and all-round wonderful person. She, you know, has now won eleven gold Paralympic medals, and that's just an incredible achievement. And is really testament to her hard work her attitude and her talent and certainly being in Beijing with her when you know she was still at secondary school and just over the years seeing her uh, grow and, and develop in and her sport and as a person it's just been really wonderful it's been a privilege to know Sophie and you know she's got another race today and, and I'm looking forward to seeing that and looking
3: forward to celebrating properly with her when we're all back home. Well, it's, uh, you know, it, it seems in the distant future at the moment and, and you know, um, hopefully you have a smooth passage home. A lot of people uh, are getting uh, getting through some issues trying to get back into New Zealand, but I'm sure when you do, uh, the team as a whole will be uh, very warmly received because uh, as a unit, it's been quite outstanding. I, I just wonder uh, just back to Sophie briefly, um, her her um, status in the team, but also her status in the village. I mean, she is probably one of the most successful of all time in the Paralympics. So is, is, does she hold a sort of an aura about her, uh, not just within our team, but other teams as well? Yeah,
8: Sophie's certainly uh, you know highly respected Paralympian. She's New Zealand's most successful Paralympian. She's well known in you know the Paralympic um, circle, the whole Paralympic family, and you know one of the reasons that you know she is a uh, was appointed as the harpie Kata, which was our our flag bearer equivalent. Um, you know is because of the mana that. You know,
3: she holds, and that that people look up to her, and so you know, certainly she is just a wonderful athlete, wonderful all-round person. The team is, as a whole, uh, Paula. have done a wonderful job. Uh, other gold medalists, of course, other medalists uh, around the group. Just, just how pleased and and you know, uh, how how chuffed are you about the the way they've competed this time round so far?
8: Oh, we're really pleased with the performance of the team. You know, we've got 29 athletes here in Japan, 18 for whom it's their first Paralympic Games. And, you know, we've seen, um, you know, our very experienced athletes medal. um, And we've also seen, you know, first-time Paralympians medal. So, you know, Danielle Atchison last night uh, coming home with her Second medal from her first games. We've had you know, Tupo, um, who medalled and and obviously won gold uh, at his second Paralympic Games. Um, Sophie with, with her medals and, and all her experience. Uh, so, look really really thrilled with the performance of the team. And we've still got a lot more competition to come. We've got more swimming mm. today. We've got. Uh, canoe racing, we've got more athletics to come and shooting. So we've got four more sports still to, you know, continue in their um, performance and seeing the canoe racing today will be, you know, fantastic to see how um, our two athletes do. So, you know, thrilled with the performance so far and and I think there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure still more to come.
3: Well, each of these remarkable athletes has uh, a unique story behind them. Uh, I just read out before while we were waiting to connect to you this uh, amazing story of young Danielle Aitchison, who has uh, uh, has overcome so much uh, in what she's achieved and still manages at the end of the day to perform like she has with such a, a, a beaming smile. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that, that gets me about this is that uh, what they've had to overcome, but the joy they have, the joy I think on the Paralympics face often exceeds the joy on um, the able-bodied athletes, to me. I, I think it's one of the great the great things about it and so inspirational to perhaps young children who, who are overcoming difficulties themselves.
8: Certainly, you know, every Paralympian has a story and that's one of the wonderful things I think that binds... Paralympic athletes together. You know, everyone's got a story and sharing those stories, uh, you know, is, is one of the things that often happens at the Paralympic Games is the sharing of those stories. And certainly, you know, one of the uh, big, I guess, aims of the Paralympic movement is to raise awareness about disability and through raising awareness, you know, we hope that, that leads to a greater understanding and that, that understanding can help drive more social inclusion and better outcomes around the world for disabled people. You know, and in New Zealand, 24% of the population is disabled. And so you know, the Paralympic Games are, are one you know, important way of demonstrating um, a, a greater awareness of disability and and hopefully drive better outcomes for disabled people. And, you know, we've had some wonderful messages from children back home to our athletes. And, you know, reading what they say and the motivation that they get from seeing Paralympians perform is, you know, wonderful. And certainly young disabled people who are thinking about sport as a career and, you know, have have some great athletes to look up to.
3: Paula, one of the uh, the downsides of it has been uh, from time to time we've missed out on the uh, individual brilliance of of particularly some of our athletes because uh, the television coverage just uh, has been cutting uh, away. We're at the mercy, of course, of the the host broadcaster, but that has been, uh, I think, probably one of the downsides.
8: Yes, yeah, certainly. I think a number of uh, complicating factors have led to um, not all of our athletes being seen for their entire event. And I know that that's created some disappointments. And I know that Paralympics New Zealand and TVNZ and the host broadcaster uh, in Japan uh, are all working to try and resolve that.
3: Oh, that's good news. Uh, from uh, your point of view, and a, you're an administrator on this particular journey, so uh, how's the event uh, been run? How smoothly has it has it gone about?
8: Oh, the Japanese are uh, wonderful hosts, you know, really welcoming of everybody. Uh, you know, overall, the games have been run really well. It's a very challenging environment here, of course, with the number of COVID cases in Japan and, you know, needing to keep everyone safe and and manage in what is a very unique and challenging environment. So, you know, an event of this size where you've got, you know, four and a half thousand athletes competing is hard enough, but you, you know, you throw the challenges of being in a pandemic on that, and you know that does make for um, a you know, particularly challenging environment, which you know, overall, I think, is, is being managed as best as it can be.
3: Paula, uh, when uh, all this is uh, done and uh, everyone returns home safely to New Zealand, of course, you will uh, resume your, your other role, which is the New Zealand Disability Commissioner. Can you tell us a, a wee bit about that particular role back home?
8: So the role of the Disability Rights Commissioner is a statutory function under the Human Rights Act and the role is to promote and raise awareness around disability and to advocate for improved outcomes for 24% of New Zealanders who are disabled. And so... You know, if we look at the outcomes that disabled people in New Zealand currently face, we have a long way to go before we you know, have real equity and, and inequality in New Zealand for disabled people. And so the role is really about promoting that and raising awareness and ultimately uh, advocating with central government, local government, business,
3: and, you know, Kiwis at large for better outcomes for disabled people. Well, Paula, uh, Te we thank you very much for your time this morning. I know it's very early in uh, Tokyo. We appreciate you getting up early. Um, We're absolutely thrilled back home, I can tell you, with uh, the efforts of your team. Uh, They are doing uh, themselves and us very, very proud indeed, and uh, there's so much more to come. We look forward to that. Thank you uh, so much for your time uh, here on SENZ. Uh, it's around 10.16. Uh, I uh, just got a, a text in from Michael Holdsworth. Michael, thank you so much for that. You are in Special Olympics, and you've really enjoyed watching the, the Paralympics. Uh, we appreciate that. Yours, of course, is a totally different form of the Olympics, the Special Olympics, but I'm so happy that uh, you're getting a buzz out of these ones like, like we all are. We'll be back very shortly uh, with the panel. 10.21 here on SENZ in the mornings at its panel time. And this morning we've got, I won't call it a contest, but uh, these two blokes both live in Auckland uh, because that's their place of work at the moment. But uh, Guy Havelt is from Christ College. Ollie Ritchie is from Christchurch Boys High School. Now, if you're ever going to have a debate about two schools in New Zealand and you'll expect it to fire up a wee bit, uh, this will be the one. This will be the one. So I'll be interested in this. So uh, being from Christ... Being from Christ College, you're the well-to-do one, Guy Havel. You can wait. You can wait, and we'll give Ollie Ritchie uh, from the, the school of hard no- the school of hard knocks at Christchurch, where we do it tough, in the, you know, in the public school area. Uh, Ollie, uh, you can have first crack at a um, uh, lady. I just, I mean, I make no apologies for this. I can't stop admiring Sophie Pascoe. I just can't. And last night, the drama around it all was just phenomenal.
9: Absolutely. Altio Rapedo to you guy while I've got you on the line. Great to be with you. <laughs> um, yeah. She is uh, yeah, she's just incredible, isn't she? She she continues to go from strength to strength and even in that race last night you could see how absolutely shattered she was afterwards and she looked shattered coming into that last kind of fifty meters, twenty five metres, but you know, the mental resolve she has to find another gear when uh, most athletes would probably fade. It's is just incredible. So, yeah, I, absolutely in, in awe of what uh, Sophie Pascoe has achieved and continues to achieve uh, in the pool.
3: Dame Sophie, uh, we're picking Guy Havelt. That's uh, got to come to pass, doesn't
6: it? Yeah, I, I would have thought so, Smithy. Just, just quickly back to the, the Christ College, Christchurch Boys High thing. Uh, we, we're, we're on a two-match winning streak in the first 15 contest at the moment. So... Um, We've got one up on on Richie and his boys. But, um, yeah, I I think it has to be Dame Sophie, doesn't it? I mean, look at what she's done. What is that, 11, is it? Or am I losing count as a 12? Anyway, whatever it is, gold medals. I mean, it is that ridiculous that you can't keep count anymore. Um, She is just so good. And and not only, you know, I, I, I I do struggle sometimes with how much we get caught up in the knighthoods and the damehoods and that sort of thing. But considering what other people who have been knighted in the sporting arena have achieved for, I dare say, a bit less than what she has. Uh, And and more than that, the way that she carries herself outside of the pool, she is a a real inspiration to a lot of people, and and not not necessarily just just kids, but a lot of people who are going through or have been through similar things to what she had to do, you know, life-altering situations in terms of their body and that sort of thing, disabilities, whatever it might be. She's been an inspiration to them, and, and, and I really think that that goes a long way to determining the type, of, um, the type of individual that she is and the type of person that we should celebrate uh, in terms of our, our sporting uh, endeavours in New Zealand.
3: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. and uh, I'm expecting, uh, and I shouldn't be selfish like this, but she's actually got her favourite event, the one she likes the most this afternoon. Goodness me. Um, Who's going to bet against uh, gold medal number 12? Uh, Look, less than inspiring last night, Guy Havel, were the Black Caps Now, they picked a a number of squads to go overseas to play in various countries so they could get through the COVID scenario, uh, make sure that there wasn't too much stress on too many players, and then, of course, Mm. head to the T20 World Cup. Uh, Last night was not a good start. Uh, Predictably, it was going to be tough, but that was pretty average performance.
6: Very average performance, really. Um, yeah, with the I was expecting a little bit more than that with the bat. I don't think they were too bad with the ball, but when you've only got sixty to bowl at, um, you know, it, it's it's an impossible task. Uh, yeah, very disappointing. I wasn't expecting a lot. I'll be honest for this tour, and and to be honest, um, it's not something that that will stick with me. I mean, yeah, bowled out for sixty, and 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 we should be critiquing that. And it was it was. Very, very bad. Uh, a, a lot of poor shots, not much discipline in terms of how they played. But in saying that, it's a meaningless series. Um, I know they're building towards the T20 World Cup, but this is a chance to to give some guys an opportunity to rest some other players. Um, and so I'm not going to read too much into it. Look, I, I think they'll lose the series maybe 4-1, maybe even 5-0. Um, and, and and that still won't shock me that much, and it still won't really upset me too much either. Um, I think there's a lot of growth in this team still to go. Uh, I think it's, it's great that these some of these players are getting an opportunity. It wasn't a great performance last night, absolutely, but um, I don't think we should get too caught up on it too much.
3: Is, is that how you feel about it? Uh, Ollie, I'm, I'm uh, being a little bit you know, closer to it in terms of you know um, being a... A former black cap. I'm not that sure I'm, I'm overly happy about the fact that you're prepared to lose um, um, for the sake of the long haul. I, I I thought there was enough depth there to make sure that perhaps might not happen.
9: Yeah, and, and bowled out for, for 63 or what, whatever it was. When I think you, when you have the calibre of players you do in that team, yes it's a B team, yes these guys aren't T20 specialists, but I did expect a bit more from the life of Henry Nichols, Tommy Latham, Colin de Grandhomme, you know, you, these guys have been around the traps a long time, and to be skittled in the manner in which they, which they were for for sixty odd, sixty three, was was hugely disappointing. Um, I've got massive questions about Colin de Grandhomme and the mentality that he has and the mindset that he sometimes has at the crease. The manner in which he gets out, not just in T20 cricket, but uh, across the board, is becoming quite concerning, I would think, um, for New Zealand cricket. He just doesn't seem to have much of a plan, and the way in which he just tried to kind of hit it out of the ground a few balls into his innings last night, when he'd just seen three of his teammates skittled in the manner in which they were, uh, is is quite concerning. Um, So, yeah, I'd I'd hope that we can turn it around relatively quickly. Um, Some positive signs with the ball, for sure, uh, but when you've got some of those experienced heads that we do have, you know Tommy Latham, Henry Nichols, Colin de Grandhomme, Tom Blundell. These guys have been around the traps for a while now. Um, you would hope for a bit better than sixty-three all out.
6: Just on de Grandhomme, oh, what, what, what's Daryl Mitchell? What's Daryl Mitchell? If I can just quickly, what's Daryl Mitchell ever done wrong, and, and why? Why isn't he getting the opportunity now as as the incumbent all rounder? I mean, every time he puts on the black cap or the black shirt or whatever it might be, he seems to excel. I mean, I'm with Ollie on that. I would have thought. Someone, particularly Mitchell, would have been a better option than DeGronholm. I, I know he's given so much for the black caps, and overall he's performed pretty well and got us out of some sticky situations. But mm. for me, his time is his time's ticking pretty quickly.
3: Yeah, I, I, I can um, sympathise with that. I, I'm, I actually get very frustrated when you see players who have got immense natural skills in a sport, and they continue to let themselves down. And by doing that in the team sport, they continue... Uh, to let the team down, you 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 start to run out of patience in terms of their uh, their strike rate, just how often they come off. And Colin de uh easily fills into that bracket for me. Uh, he is just he just uh, he just I don't get it. I mean, uh, he makes when he when he plays. When sometimes when he bats, he makes the game look so damn easy. Um, you know, he's got big <laughs> buckets of hands. He can catch anything. Uh, you know, he can swing the ball. He, he should be just a fixture. Pretty much in every team on on the attributes that he's got, but he isn't, uh, and, and he's not. He can't be relied upon, mm. and I, I I just I wonder about that, and so do fellow commentators. I, I got to say, guys um, uh, around the world uh, who look at that natural ability and say, Oh well, where does it go wrong? Perhaps it's in the hair. Uh, perhaps it's in the haircut." Uh, look, here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing. It would never be. It would never be. How about a haircut like that at Christ College, for God's sake? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Yeah,
6: you'd,
3: be, you'd be expelled you'd be out from Orson Christ there, College. <laughs> 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 we we might. I've often because one of my great uh, colleagues, of course, uh, during my my playing time was John Wright, of course, uh, uh, alumni Christ College, and I could never, yep. I could never. People used to say to me, see, ask Wrighty this question. Maybe uh, some stage in the future, not necessarily this morning, Guy, but you might. Ask, what what is it? What is it with uh, with Christ College and and, and Golden Syrup? Uh, I, I've never been able to get the answer to that uh, out, of, out of out of righty. So um, I, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to come up with an answer for me, Guy, after the 10.30 news. We'll, we'll concentrate on the All Blacks, but it's always been a ponderance. It's always been a ponderance. Here's Trudy with the news. CNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel.
8: Talk, talk,
3: It's 10:32 as the panel continues here on SENZ in the morning. I hope Guy Havel has stayed with us, but in the meantime, while we try to get him back, we'll uh, we'll get Ollie Ollie Ritchie to to talk about the All Blacks and change the subject to something deadly serious. Here, Um, look, uh, your All Black backline. Give us your All Black back, your starting backline for Sunday night, six o'clock New Zealand time. Please, Ollie Ritchie, please. (laughs) I'll try and
9: um, yeah, I'll, I'll try and get things back on track. Yes, Maybe we might end up with a BSA complaint. <laughs> otherwise, um, uh, yeah, look, I think you'd put Bowden Barrett straight into the into the first five role. Obviously, um, I'd really like to see Brad Weber given a start at halfback. I think he's been excellent for the Chiefs and he's proved himself uh, in what limited time he has had uh, in the black jersey. And with Aaron Smith away, um, I think the the easy approach is just to put. T.J. Pettinata, uh in there, and I'm not saying T.J. is not deserving of that, but I'd really like to see them give Brad Weber a start and give him a bit more game time uh, at an international level. Outside of that, David Harveley, who's been one of the All Blacks' best this year, uh, I would slot uh, Christchurch Boys High School old boy Anton Leonard-Brown straight outside him. They've, they've formed quite a handy wee pairing uh, in the midfield and, and look to be going from, from strength to strength. Uh, I'd probably move... Rico back to the left wing. I think he was really good against the Wallabies and probably doesn't deserve to drop out of the starting 15, even if he does drop out of the midfield. Uh, And then Will Jordan and and Damien McKenzie to to round out the back line is what I would go with. Although I'd be happy to see Geordie Barrett get a a go as well, actually. So maybe I'll swap Damien out for Geordie.
3: Guy, how do you feel about that?
6: Yeah, uh, I was looking at the at the squad again this morning. It's an interesting one. For me, I'd I just look at, at the guys that you kind of, uh, well, that I wouldn't leave out, the guys that you can't really leave out. For me, that, that's, that's Bowden Barrett at 10, obviously. Uh, and then I, I would also have David Havili in the midfield. And then I can't leave Will Jordan or Geordie Barrett out of my side. So those two guys, Jordan probably on the wing uh, and Jordie Barrett, at fullback, and then you just kind of pick the pieces around them. I'm, I'm like Ollie. I'd like to see Brad Weber start. I think he's well and truly proven over the past few years that that he is the second best halfback in the country behind Aaron Smith. Um, he's got a great passing game, got got a great vision for the game. Um, yeah, I, I I particularly like him at halfback. And then yeah, you just kind of slot slot the rest. I mean, maybe maybe Rico on the wing. I, I don't think Seve Reese has done a lot wrong. I think he's been pretty solid. Look, the back line isn't really the problem, is it? I think it's the forwards that are possibly the issue for the All Blacks here. But, um, yeah, I'd, 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 I, I would go with those guys um, in, in my back line.
3: OK, well, Guy, here's a text from Brian. I'm not sure if you know Brian, but he might know you. He says, uh, good morning, Ian. Could you... No, 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 it's not about this. Uh, could you please ask Guy how disappointed he is at the naming of Artie Sevilla as All Black captain? I'm, I'm not quite sure where he's coming from here. Enlighten us.
6: Well, I, 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 it might be with my comments. Uh, I think I said to you yeah. maybe a week or so ago around um, around. Uh, look, I, I, I just I just think off the field. I, I don't really think he carries himself as an All Blacks captain. Um, uh, I, I'll repeat Ooh. what I said to you the other day. I, I just <laughs> think that that an All Blacks captain shouldn't be picking fights with journalists on social media. I, I just think that's a that's a bizarre way for a professional rugby player to go about things, particularly with stories. That have been accurate and have been fair and, and I mean these ones around wearing a mouth guard, that's a world rugby rule that you have to wear a mouth guard. He got picked apart for that and completely fair enough. And and then he was having a crack at journalists about the story around Joshuana having a party um that, that, that neighbours were complaining about. And again, that's a fair story. And for me I just don't I just don't think an all blacks captain should be sitting there behind a keyboard picking fights with journalists over, over completely fair stories. So that's where I'm coming coming from with that.
3: Okay, that's uh, cleared that up. And actually, I remember that too. Now we just had so many. Uh, uh, no, we've had so many panelists uh, right, with enough. their opinions on on all black captain. Uh, that um, that you slipped my mind. But no, you've you've rejigged me there. Um, let's uh, change the, the topic uh, to tennis, shall we? It's the US Open. Very strong at tennis too. Uh, Christ College, I hear. Um, but this, um thing, um. Uh, about the, the US Open without some of its superstars. Is it, uh, for you, Ollie Ritchie, a little bit underwhelming so far? Are you are you into it at this point?
9: Uh, to to me, Smithy, any tournament, and Havels will hate this, but any tournament without Roger Federer <laughs> uh, is a bit underwhelming. Um, and, and throw in the fact that that Raff is not there on the men's side of the draw, and yet does take it off a bit. Um, Being a massive Federer fan myself, I really don't want to see Novak Djokovic surpass him. Uh, for the most grand slams of all time, although at the moment it looks like a, a matter of when, not if that'll happen. Um, I think we need to see a few a few upsets. You know, like I'll, I'll start taking interest if some of those guys who are maybe the next tier down. You know, your you know your Daniel Medvedevs and your Stefano Stefano Sitsabas, Those guys start to upset the likes of you, Djokovic's, and then can prove themselves as grand slam winners. Um, Certainly on the men's side of the draw, I think that would make things a lot more interesting. Probably better on on the women's. You know, we've got now Osaka there, Ash Barty uh, is still there. So some really, uh, really big names on the women's side of the draw. Uh, But yeah, particularly on the men's side, I think it is a little bit underwhelming. Nice to see Andy Murray fire up the other day, though that was enjoyable.
3: Mm. Yeah, it was. And uh, predictably, of course, we saw Kittiesa fire up for exactly uh, the wrong reasons but he always tends to do that for you, Uh, for you Guy, uh, chairman of the uh, Roger Federer New Zealand branch fan club, Um, how do you feel about it thus far?
6: I'm definitely not the chairman of that club, Smithy. Don't you worry about that. I'm happy to pass on that mantle. Uh, look, I, I, look, this is a this is a, a bit of a, a, uh, an insight, I suppose, into what tennis is about to be like. Men's tennis, I'm meaning, when when Federer, Nadal, and I know Djokovic is playing at this tournament, but when those three guys move on, and look, I, I like watching Sitsapes play. I like watching Medvedev play. I like watching Zverev play. But we are about to go from. Probably, I think definitely, the greatest era in men's tennis uh, in terms of those three guys going hammer and tongs at each other, almost grand slam in, grand slam out. Every, every time there's a grand slam, it was those three. And then when Andy Murray was at his peak, him as well. Uh, we're about to go from that to, uh, I, I think, a selection of players who, who don't really bring uh, a lot of excitement to the game. I mean, they're good, but they're just not. They're not Federer, they're not Nadal and they're not Djokovic. And, you know, I think tennis is about to go through a little bit of a lull uh, in terms of possibly its interest and and hopefully those three big names can just cling on a little bit longer and, and just keep us, keep bringing us that excitement. I know Djokovic is doing it, but obviously Federer can't seem to get past the semi-finals of a Grand Slam anymore and that's a bit sad um, in terms of the game Uh, and hopefully Nadal can keep going as well because I just feel like men's tennis uh, just needs them to just keep plugging along for a little bit to to keep the interest going.
3: Ollie, I just wonder, um, Moana Pacifica have some uh, major announcements coming up uh, next week in terms of uh, where they're going to play, some of their players uh, they've contracted and Who's uh, going to coach them? Have you heard a scoop or anything on, on who do you think might be uh, their inaugural coach?
9: Um, well, the name that I'm hearing, and I'm sure a lot of other people are hearing, is Aaron uh, Major um, has has been thrown around as as probably their first um, their first coach, which will which would be an interesting call for mine. Um, you know, he's kind of battled a little bit, really, hasn't he? And and he's coaching since he. Part of the Crusaders as an assistant, and he, he didn't have too much luck down at the Highlanders. But you know, maybe a fresh challenge is what Aaron Major needs taking on a brand new team, um, which will have a brand new squad of players, and, and into a brand new tournament that is Super Rugby Pacific. It can be a really exciting time for Rugby and, and Pacific inclusion, and in Super Rugby is, is long overdue. So it's great that they're are finally getting their time. Um, and so, yeah, maybe this is the, the challenge. Uh, that Aaron Major needs to, to almost kind of kick-start his coaching career uh, again.
3: Just finally, uh, Guy Haveled. um, unfortunately, of course, um, well, I won't say unfortunately because it's a great city, but at the moment, uh, it's under lockdown, uh, Level 4, Auckland, of course, I'm talking about, Northland as well, maybe they'll get out uh, very shortly, but um, do you miss your golf, mate? I mean, some people around the country are actually <laughs> able to get out and, and play, and you know, uh, within their bubble, of course, and uh, under strict regulations. But uh, are you missing it?
4: Yeah.
6: Yeah, massively. Uh, particularly on a day like today. I mean, look outside the window at the moment, and it's a beautiful, clear blue day. There's there's absolutely no wind. It is the perfect day for golf. So, yeah, I am missing it, and I've spoken to a few people, um, and I know, you know, level four and that, and, 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 and there are strict rules around that, but a lot of people in golf say that, you know, you could easily play golf under level four, um, particularly if you just go out in singles and that sort of thing. Um, I, I would like to see that. I don't think it will happen, and I can understand why. But, uh, yeah, I do miss it. I do miss it. I think my game will be very rusty when I do finally get back out on the seaways, I think So um, I, I won't be playing with you first up. Uh, I might just need a little bit of practice <laughs> before before we get out there and have a hit, my friend. But, um yeah, no, I hope we can get down to level three or level two soon and, and, and hit the seaways again. It's a beautiful sport, um, and uh, I hope my game hasn't deteriorated too much over the past few months.
3: Okay, Guy, hey, thanks very much for uh, your input this morning. A lot of fun, actually, yeah, and to you too, Ollie, as well. Uh, thanks for joining us on the panel. We'll have uh, another one tomorrow morning. Outstanding. So, uh, yeah, it's 10.43 here uh, on SENZ and of course uh, Louis Herman Watt the TAB uh, before 11 o'clock and then uh, after 11 o'clock I'm really really excited about the prospect of talking to the one, the only Cameron
2: Smith The voice of sport in New Zealand Nothing gets past Smithy This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
3: Yes, double eight, double three is the text number. We've had a few come in. Uh, the Raiders will win, says Very short and sharp. The Raiders will beat the Roosters tonight. Well, they have to. It um, really does uh, mean a, a lot more to them. And uh, to be fair, when I put the Roosters into the multi, I didn't, I hadn't uh, taken a really close look at the the Roosters lineup. Uh, we know they'll be without Manu, of course, who won't be playing much. Rugby League for quite some time. Uh, The Black Caps must lose the ego to be successful in Bangladesh. Well, uh, if they had any ego going into that tour, uh, they shouldn't have because they should have known that uh, Bangladesh would be tough. They beat us 3-0 last time, for goodness sake. They've knocked off uh, Australia in the interim. Uh, And uh, really, if they had any ego at all, uh, when you're rolled for 60, that should disappear very quickly. So we'll look for a a relatively sharp improvement uh, in Game 2 of 5. Uh, hi, Smithy. I'd just like to know what has happened to Caleb Clark. Is he injured? Just heard the the advert about, or the, the story that he was on yesterday, uh, with Beaver and Co. So, uh, yeah, Caleb Clark, of course, uh, he made a commitment to try and make the Olympic sevens team. Uh, he didn't make the starting squad, but he did make uh, the travelling reserve group. Of course, they had to cover all contingencies. So, he spent a lot of time sitting in a hotel over there, and of course, he had to quarantine on the way back. But... Uh, he will be back for Auckland when the uh, NPC, the Bunnings NPC, is up and running. Uh, he will be back for Auckland. Uh, of course, RTS will be one of his teammates, uh, Roger tuabasa sheck uh, And they'll be v- very busy as they, you know, they, they look to, uh, I, th- I think, put together a really congested programme. All the teams will be uh, when it gets uh, up and running. So, Anthony, that's uh, the situation there with Caleb Clark, fine footballer, very fine footballer and All Black not that long ago. Uh, At 10.50, when we come back, uh, we've got Louis Herman Watt, uh, our visit to the TAB, and yes, after 11
2: o'clock, Cameron Smith. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
8: The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan.
3: Good morning to uh, Louis Herman Watt, yep we saw racing yesterday, I didn't really, wasn't it hugely impressed with the information you threw my way because I lost money on it, Louis to be fair I was believing you are a bit of an oracle so I'll continue the faith uh, with racing today and markets for the weekend. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm trying to remember. What did I kind of chuck out? Platform was. Well, I was a Platform. little. It was a wee bit. It, ran a, it got. Do you know what's the one of the worst thing in racing is when you get beaten by the ho- horse that cuts the corner. So all the jockeys try mm. to be smart and they try to find that grouse bit of grass and they all come wide. And that one horse, mm. j- one jockey that goes, "Oh, my horse, not might not be travelling that well here. I'm going to cut the corner, and it saves the ground, and then you will get beaten by." Mm. It. it is one of the most frustrating ways to lose. I reckon.
3: Yeah, right up there with. Forget it went round from the commentators. Back at next time, forget <laughs> it went round. That's one of the most frustrating things. That is anyway.
1: Awful. Today. Smithy, um, look, uh, it's a it's a day where you can kind of follow the markets at, at uh, Cambridge. There's a couple that have been absolutely punted in in a big way, and one of those is Ben Foote's runner Sakura Blossom. We spoke about it this morning. It's into a dollar seventy now, so it's a first start at least it all presses up. I was looking at Moana in this in this field. Um, I don't know how Moana's are made, and Vinny Colgan does the writing for Chad Ormsby but that's drifted to three dollars twenty. Sakura Blossom, it's a dollar seventy. That's a bit short for you. Another one that will be a good filly this year, and I don't know whether she's ready to win today because it's a sticky draw from Barrier 11, is Funny Girl. It's Lance Noble-trained Cambridge stud runner. Had two very impressive starts as a two-year-old for a third and a second flashing home. I think she'll go extremely well this time, sometime this preparation. You're getting $6 a dollar eighty. You could have a little each-way spec there, but I think you can kind of follow the money at these Cambridge synthetic tracks because, look, it's a punting town, Cambridge. There's a lot of bully that goes around, and when the money comes, especially for these first starters or second starters that have trialled up and are coming back from a spell, you usually know that they're ready to go. So that would be my
3: advice, just watch the markets. And the weekend, weekend of course, uh, the weekend's going to be huge for us. Just give us a, a slight, a slight um, look at the mark, early markets there. Are yeah,
1: we? okay, so same thing as last week really, Smithy. So we've got the Foxbridge plate, but we've also got the Cambridge Stud Northland Breeders' Stakes. That's a group three. Now Palamos doesn't start here, so Imperatries is a dollar fifty. A dollar fifty. Opened at a dollar seventy, already into a dollar fifty in the Breeders Stakes and in the Foxbridge plate, just like it was last week. I mean I just think you just take the fixed Cornella all day here. Avantage and Tavimac, it just looks like a super bet. The other two class horses in the field.
3: OK, thanks very much, Louis. Uh, have a good day uh, on the punt. Uh, and speaking of that, we better head across to the TAB as we do at this time to speak to uh, Paul Mawati, um, who is so inspired by Sophie Pascoe. He's going to give us some great deals
2: this morning, I'm sure. This is Mornings with Ian Smith.
10: Isn't he a footballer, this kid?
11: Smith, are oh you deserve
1: it.
10: Cameron Smith, that's your
2: award for five-star performance tonight. Cameron Smith becomes the first Melbourne Storm player to win the Dallier Medal. So the Melbourne Storm... Captain, Dalian Player
10: of the Year last year, Cameron Smith. You've been playing rugby league since your little kid. You were captain from under-8s all the way through the juniors, and tonight you stand on this stage. You inspire every other little kid to take up footy. Oh
3: mate, you know,
11: every player. This is what you dream of this stage. And, and I'm just very thankful I got to share this moment
3: with 16 other blokes. Well, it's 11:03 New Zealand time, and uh, every now and then in this job you get to speak to someone who you are in awe of. To be fair, and uh, my next guest is certainly. In that bracket. It's the final round of the NRL uh, kicking off tonight, and uh, it's a really important game, too, uh, for the Raiders who are hosting the Roosters, or not so much hosting them, but they're playing them because we know uh, it's not uh, anywhere near Sydney, this competition, anymore. Uh, the defending champion, Melbourne Storm, are ahead of uh, the Penrith Panthers on the points table. Uh, they play the Sharks tomorrow night, but uh, they've uh, left a few of their players out. That'll be an interesting challenge for those guys coming in. Uh, to talk to us now about the NRL and the Storm in particular. There's no one better qualified uh, than uh, Melbourne Storm, great. Queensland, great. Kangaroos legend, uh, Cameron Smith. It's an honour for me to, to welcome in uh, one of our SEN teammates as well onto the show. Uh, good morning to you, Cameron. Thanks for joining us.
11: Good morning, and How are you going?
3: Uh, look, I'm going great. Mate. I'll be honest with you, I've become an NRL convert. On the back of what i think the the dedication and the commitment to be fair that the warriors have have brought from from our side of things you know uh what they've had to go through uh, it hasn't been a great year for them of course they haven't made the eight but uh, certainly they haven't lost any fans over here what about over there
11: oh no look they, they've been fantastic and and i think everyone over here in australia not not just the players and and the coaches in the involved in the nrL but but fans of rugby league and, and fans of sport in general acknowledge you know the sacrifices that the warriors players and staff and, and, and in particular the families have made they've now been living away from home for 2 years and they've done that on the back of their commitment to to being involved in the NRL and allowing allowing the competition to continue because if they if those guys don't make the decision to come over the ditch and and spend 2 years over here in Australia then then the NRL it doesn't happen so You know, everyone's very thankful for the sacrifices that they've made. And on the back of that, you know, you look at the season that they've had this year. It was only until last week that they were out of finals contention. Like, they they were actually – they had an opportunity to, to finish in the top eight. But unfortunately, you know, the results haven't gone their way over the last two weeks and they're going to miss out. But, you know, it's a brave, brave performance that they've put in um, over, over the, the last two seasons. And, and one that is very, it doesn't go unnoticed by everyone over here in Australia and, and particularly the people directly involved in the NRL.
3: It's cool. Uh, it's cool to know, uh, particularly uh, coming from uh, yourself. Of course, your, your legacy is, uh, is with uh, the Melbourne Storm. Uh, and uh, you'll be pretty pleased to see that um, you know that they're going okay again this year. Maybe not a great surprise to you, you know, the caliber of the side. But what has mm-hmm. been the, the secret this year in particular? Uh, do you feel with them with the storm, particularly, of course, as well? They're playing mm-hmm. away from home. They're away from their families as well.
11: Yeah, well, they've been in a similar situation to the Warriors. Um, well, yeah, not as far away from home as as those boys, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been on the road um and and they've there's been they they've probably been a little bit more unsettled this year than what they were last year because of some of the you know the border closures and for those that haven't sort of seen or heard what's going on over here in Australia but there's there's been several border closures within our country and so the Melbourne Storm actually started the year in Melbourne, then they come up to southeast Queensland. They played a you know about a month's worth of football, and they travel back home because they got the green light to go back to Melbourne. And then, within the space of 48 hours, were told they need to get back on a plane and get back to Queensland, um, or else they face being locked out of the competition. So there's been a little bit of disruption, but I think they've handled it really well, um, given you know the professionalism of that organisation and. Because of the quality of the coach, uh, Craig Bellamy and his assistants there, um, to be able to keep the you know the players you know mindset strong and the attitude positive towards their football, um, yeah, we, we probably haven't seen the best out of the Melbourne Storm over the last sort of month to six weeks, um, Ian. But you know they've still been winning games, which is which is I guess a good thing. But you know it's it's they're resting a few players this week, and it's the last round of the NRL as you mentioned off the top of the show. Um, so you know they they want to come out and have a strong performance this week against the team, Cronulla Sharks, who this this week if if they win they guarantee themselves uh, a finals berth. They finish eighth, so it's going to be a great matchup this Friday night.
3: Cameron, you're best qualified of anyone I guess to talk about uh, Craig Bellamy because he is so integral to. This level of consistent success. Tell us a, a wee bit about the man and and his coaching
11: style. Can you? Mm. Yeah, well he, well, the the vision that most people see of Craig is is on game day, right? It's up in the coach's box, and he's very intense. I I, I won't lie, he's very intense up there. And you, most times you see him up and you know he's he's yelling at someone, either you know one of his players, the referees, or whatnot. But <laughs> he um. He's a, great, he's, a, he's a great character and I, I think the greatest quality that he has as a coach and as a person is that <clears throat> when he looks at his players that are involved in his team or in his squad, it's, he, he places a lot of uh, importance on them as a person, first and foremost, rather than the athlete. It's more important to him that things are stable in their life away from rugby league and so he, he puts a lot of time and a lot of effort into making sure that, you know, things are settled away from football because because he knows the result in that is that he's going to get the very best out of them um, on the training paddock and then on the weekend um, when it's game time. So I think he, he has a lot, of, a lot of care for the players that play in his football sides. You know, I think sometimes, you know, coaches make the mistake of just really putting a huge emphasis on coaching the athlete when they're at training and then on game day, they just see their role as a coach rather than, you know, sometimes being a mentor and, and a friend and, and someone that really cares for the person outside of just what they do um, when they pull on a jersey.
3: One of the uh, great things, uh, we're talking to Cameron Smith uh, here on SENZ, folks, and uh, very privileged to be doing that. One of the great things about the Melbourne Storm, of course, uh, is there's been always been quite a strong New Zealand affiliation. I think that's why – Uh, New Zealand people have an affinity with the Storm as well because they're outside of Sydney, even in a normal competition. So there's a little bit of a likeness there to what the Warriors do um, home and away. But uh, the affiliation, I mean, you played with some um, pretty handy New Zealand
11: players in your time. Uh, They've been quite a big influence on the club, haven't they, the Kiwis? Well, they certainly have been, and um, you know thinking back to you know way back to the very first premiership in ninety nine um, Twitter and Nick Cowell, uh was a part of that side, and um, you know just I think when you talk to those players that played in that game and the influence that he had on that result now, the Melbourne storm weren 't playing great football in the first half of that match against St George Illawarra, but um, Twitter was the guy that really stood up in the second half and and led that team so yeah, when you talk about, you know, the Kiwi influence and, um, you know, the the players that we've had at our organization over the last, you know, 20 years, it all started sort of way back at the very start with Twira Nikau. And, and now he's seen as, I think, a lot of the, the uh, Kiwi and, and Moldy boys that come across and, and pull on a Storm jersey, they look back at, you know, what he was able to do way back when the club first started and are inspired by, the things that he did on the football field, um, the things that he did for the organisation away from the football field, and just the way that he carried himself. Uh, but yeah, you look at the current squad. You have got the the Bromwich boys who um, have just been outstanding for the club this year. Jesse Bromwich is currently a co-captain with uh, Dale Finucane. So it's just the the input uh, that the that the Kiwi boys and the Moldy boys have had have just it's it's been great for our footy club and one that's been. I think, I think shared across the ditch, you know, it, there's always been a great rivalry between uh, the Storm and the Warriors. In, and every time that we've traveled across to, to New Zealand to play the Warriors, um, you know, particularly when we've played at Mount Spart, it's just, it's been a great turnout of, um, you know, Storm people, Warriors people, and just really enjoyed the, the rivalry that we've built over uh, such a long period of time.
3: Uh, looking forward to uh, tomorrow night, um, if we can, Cameron, uh, of course, the, the minor premiership game uh, against mm. the Sharks. Uh, Craig Bellamy yep. has opted to, to rest a few players. Uh, yep.
11: This is for the minor premiership. Do you, do you run
3: with that, uh, with a view to what's coming
11: up? Yeah, well, I think Well, he he went down this path last year, Ian, where he looked at the position that they're in. So they're guaranteed a top-two spot, and, and with a win... Um, uh, on on Friday that guarantees a minor premiership so I, I think he's looking at well either way win or lose we finish top two and that's a really good position to finish in um, for the for the finals and it doesn't really change the outcome um, of, of finals I think you know the top four play each other in their final system 1v4, 2v3 in the first week of the finals. so I think he'll be happy with whichever opposition they play um, so I think Going off the back of last year, actually, he opted to rest 11 players last year in the last round against St. George Illawarra. Uh, we were beaten, but then it just it gave everyone an opportunity to just a, a nice little freshen up coming into the finals. And as we know, history shows that we went on to win the competition. So he's gone down that path again. I still feel as though that, um, you know, the storm... Are fielding a very strong football side, and that if they play well, they'll they'll be able to get the victory and secure another minor premiership. Is it all about just the Storm
3: and the Panthers? Do you sleep? Can you see a sleeper coming on, on current form from from outside those
11: two? Well, the form across the the season would suggest in that you know it's Storm and Panthers. It's a race of two. Um, the Rabbitohs were really looming there, and if you look at if you look at the the record across the season. They've only lost one, one more game than both the Storm and the Panthers. So they they've had a fantastic year. They've won nineteen and lost four. So um, you know, by anyone's standard, that's a that's a really good year. The team that I feel that really could be a smoky is Manly. They've um, and and with the form that um, Tom Trebovich is in at the moment, he could he, he's he's favoured to win the Daliam Medal this year as as voted as the best player in the competition. And with the form that he's that he's shown this year, and every game that he's played well in Manly, they they look they look very very strong. So if they turn up and on their day, if they play their best football, they could beat the likes of of Penrith and Melbourne.
3: Cameron, you've uh, you've jumped the fence since your playing days. You've gone to the dark side, the media. Um, <laughs> when, do, you, do, you, do you miss do you, do you miss the playing? So obviously, I mean, you you know, your heart and soul is, is, yeah. has been with the game. You love the game. You probably fell yeah. out of love with actually playing it. So uh, you've kind of you've come over this side. But uh, what have you missed about the playing aspect of it? And what mm. does the future hold for you uh, in the game or outside of it?
11: Uh, New Zealand fans would love to know. Yeah, oh, look, it's um it certainly on my decision to retire it was a very difficult decision because I still felt like I was playing well enough to to be involved in the competition but it just got to this point where I you know I felt as though that there was more positives to to not playing than to to carry on and that was to do mainly with you know time with to spend with my wife and three children who hadn't had a lot of time to uh, spend with me over the past, you know, ten years because of you know my commitments with rugby league, and it wasn't just I wasn't just playing for the Melbourne Storm. It was with you know Queensland in the state of origin, and then with the Kangaroos, obviously most uh, end end of season tours that I was involved in. Um, but it's been a really enjoyable year. I, I must admit, mate, it's it's been great to be able to step away from playing and and be able to make a few more choices for myself and my family that you know things that I want to do, and it's actually been good to be. Still involved in some form, you know, through radio, and, and I've done a little bit of commentary um, through the State of Origin series and a handful of games um, post that, um, and just to look at the game from a different angle, really. Um, but you know, as far as the future is concerned, I'm I'm really happy with with things at the moment. Um, I get to play a little bit more golf, which I'm I'm happy about, um, which I didn't get to play too much of when I when I was playing, and I guess the things I don't miss. Well the things I do miss first of all is um I still find myself in in those 80 minutes you know just really getting a, a itchy feet and, and wanting to get out there and and sort of have a a bit of a say on on the way you know the team plays particularly when the Storm are playing um but I tell you mate I'll be honest I d- I don't miss the hits I do not miss having the big <laughs> boppers running at me and having to tackle them and then waking up on Monday morning sore as and struggling to get out of bed to you know to, to go uh to go and do my daily things but um yeah, look, it's, it, it, there's things that I miss and, and there's things that I don't, but um, it, it's great to be able to just, um, you know, have a bit more time to myself and my family now.
3: Hey, Cameron, look, it's, it's, I could talk to you for hours, but we're, we've uh, got other commitments and you've got plenty of things to do as well. Uh, I hope to get, uh, one day uh, to get to meet you in person. You, you've been fantastic to talk to. Uh, mate, uh, go well. Uh, all the best for the Storm. Uh, I think uh, on form uh, they'll be there right at the, at the, the business end of it, so... Uh, enjoy that if you can from uh, being off the field, looking on. Thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciated it.
11: Good on you. No worries. Hope to speak to you again.
3: Yeah. Cheers. That's uh, Cameron Smith, folks. Uh, the one, the Cameron Smith uh, from uh, the Gold Coast and uh, our studio, SE in studio on the Gold Coast, uh, with his thoughts. Um, so, uh, if you want to text uh, or uh, even call us, uh, text is double eight double three. These days, double eight double three. Uh, phone line is 0800 150 811. Uh, your thoughts on what uh, Cameron Smith has just said about the chances of the storm, etc. Um, we could have talked to him for a lot longer, actually, but uh, time doesn't permit that. We have uh, have to do other things. Uh, we'll be back very shortly. It's 11.18 here on SENZ. SENZ. Uh, text coming in, uh, enjoyed the Cam Smith uh, interview. Thanks very much for that. It's uh, a blind text, there's no name to it, but uh, certainly I, I enjoyed it as well. It was uh, quite inspiring to, to talk to in person. Uh, a bloke that, John, you, you kind of feel when you watched him play rugby league that he had all his ducks in a row, and that would, I think that filtered through to the Melbourne Storm. Sure, he had some great players around him during his era. The Cooper Cronks, etc., were, were game winners in their own right, uh, Billy Slaters, but if you look at Uh, Cameron Smith you look for uh, when things aren't going so well uh, just a controlling interest in the whole thing and I, I kind of sense that just talking to him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What an impressive dude he is. Uh, he could have kept on playing too. You get that feeling from him and interesting that he mm. said when he watches the Storm, he still wants to control things. Like uh, you could imagine watching a Melbourne Storm game with him, Smithy. He'd be like, oh, they should have gone left, you know, on tackle three, right and tackle four, and then skip to He'd be so His intricate knowledge would be amazing. And it's quite interesting to hear him say that he can't let that go when he's watching the Storm still. Um, you'd love a round of golf with Cameron Smith, wouldn't you? He'd be just as good at that, wouldn't he? Oh, who wouldn't be? Uh, you
3: know, you, you kind of sense he'd be pretty professional about the whole thing, the way we would approach it. Uh, I don't even get a chance to talk about um, his goal kicking and his strike rate and his success rate there uh, from all sorts of different angles. I, I just thought he was um, he an amazing goal kicker. He said a, a, a barometer there as well. You know, you get involved in the, the nitty gritty play situation where, where he would, his, his, you know, his position in the pack. And then you get up uh, after being hit by one of those big boppers and kick a goal from the wrong side of the field, uh, curving in it just beautifully. Uh, really, um, really good asset. Really, yeah. very good asset to all the teams he played for.
2: Absolutely. Like making 50 tackles, being the playmaker from dummy half, creating so many of those tries and then kicking goals as well. He is the greatest of all time, isn't he, Smithy? There's no argument there.
3: Well, you know, then you then you get into those immortal type situations. I'm not going to say he's the greatest of all time because, you know, I mean, league hasn't really been my thing. I've, I've really got into it in the, l- the last couple of years, of course. But uh, I, do, I do kind of think that, um, you know, he, he's got to be in the bracket. I mean, he's in the conversation, isn't he? He's, he's certainly, when you're, you're around the table saying who's the best, he's certainly in, in the conversation. Some, will, you know, some people will go the Artie Beetsons. They'll go back in time. Wally Lewis, Alfie Langer, those kind of guys. Mick Cronin's go way, way back. Mel Um, but certainly uh, if you look at Cameron Smith, uh, he's in that league, there's no doubt about it. Yeah,
2: and just incredible that Melbourne's been able to do what they've done without those immortal players or future immortals, winning 19 in a row this year, Smithy, without Slater, without Inglis without Cameron Smith, without Cronk. Uh, they even had Folau in their team at one point in time as well. Just the success of the Melbourne Storm, and he put, all put that down too as well. Um, and the Kiwi influence that they've got there now with Bromwich and Jerome Hughes and Brandon Smith down to Tawera Nico as well, which was really cool to hear.
3: Yeah, it was actually. Uh, moving on from that, of course, um, it's uh, timed uh, Thursday morning for pacing for purpose. Uh, time for us to make some money, hopefully, for Women's Refuge. Get Uh, Nasser on the
9: phone. He is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again.
8: SNZ is pacing for purpose. Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand.
3: Yes, I nearly interrupted that uh, piece of commentary. I wish I could back Lazarus on behalf of uh, Women's Refuge, but we can't. So uh, tomorrow uh, we're going to go to the Cambridge Trots. That's where the designated meeting is. Uh, and I will say, um, I've been given this by uh, an anonymous tipster, shall we say. So we're going to go for Women's Refuge to uh, the Waikato Greyhound, uh, Greyhounds of Waikato Trots tomorrow night. Uh, race 7, horse number 7. Uh, we're going to have 50 to win on Chablis. Chablis is our horse now. It's uh, going to be driven by Matt White. And it will be. Uh, it is being trained by Tony Hurley himself, one of the great drivers in uh, our harness history so uh, and also a very fine trainer so yeah that's us tomorrow night john chablis, chablis. Um, and i'm not quite sure at this stage what it's paying but um certainly it'll be paying and staffy took the lead actually for his uh, designated uh, charity last week he was the only one that got a got a winner so uh, we'll, we need to catch him
2: yeah you know more about me already i would have called it chablis. Um, but uh, Chablis I like your pronunciation there Smithy you're a competitive man you won't like being on Zilch so far and the Breakfast Boys last week uh, they bet on a scratched horse so they've got a hundred bucks to lay down but we've got Fridays with Mick Guerin uh, Michael Guerin on um, SCNZ on your show Smithy and this race isn't until tomorrow night so maybe, maybe we can just hold off on placing our bet Wait to talk to Michael Guerin tomorrow and then just do a sneaky uh, bit after that because he knows everything there is about harness racing.
3: Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair for Michael, he's like most hipsters. Uh, you know, they come up with, with some wonderful information from time to time, but, I mean, he does work for the station. If he was that good, Michael Guerin, he'd own the station, okay? He works for the station. So let's just not get <laughs> yeah. too carried away with Michael Guerin and the, yeah. and the whale and all these guys that work on television. If they were that damn good at tipping them and their ratio was that good, they wouldn't be working for it. They'd be owning it. They'd be owning it. Speaking of uh, taking some ownership, you can now. You can uh, own Stump Smithy. Uh, and that is uh, on after the break. So get on the blower, uh, 0800 150811. Uh, and you have the opportunity to pick up 50 bucks of your own. From the TAB And uh, it's news time with Trudy Ticking up to 11.30
2: Ian Smith's had a good match here Stumped by Smithy Ian
3: Smith really
1: is top class at his job
2: Here we go, stumped by Smithy Your chance to win $50 of vouchers from the TAB Very kind of them to give this up Every day at this time after the 11.30 news And on line one We've got a level four lockdown man Called Joe, g'day Joe Uh, Morning gents How's your lockdown going, mate? Are you a bit jealous with people like Smithy being able to go out and play golf?
4: Uh, Yeah, just sitting at home here trying to do some work.
2: Yeah, and trying to win some money at the same time, which is good times, Joe. All right, uh, the way this game works is I give you three sporting categories. You choose one, then I give you three questions. Get them all right, you get the 50 bucks, but get one wrong, and Smithy can stump you. So today's sports are rugby union, tennis, and boxing, what are you going to go for? Uh, I'll try boxing. Boxing, nice. A fighter in your own days or more of a lover? Just an observer. <laughs> Good man. All right, let's get started. Joe, a great name for boxing, Joe. Smoking Joe, Frazier, Joseph Parker. All right, first question is Joe Bogner. Joe Bogner. Nice. Who did Kevin Barry beat in the light heavyweight boxing semi-finals at the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles?
3: Uh, That was um, Evander Holyfield.
2: Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot and the it goes. Exactly right Joe. Smithy do you know how that one went down? Quite controversial.
3: Yeah I think was there a punch after after the bell or something of that nature and he was disqualified so uh, Kevin Barry um, probably the beneficiary of that I would imagine
2: yep you're exactly right Yeah, it looked like uh, Holyfield had knocked out Barry at the end of round 2 and then hit him after the break and the referee disqualified him on his home turf as well so you can imagine what the crowd did uh, went absolutely nuts but Joe you are right Smithy you were also right question number 2 in one of the greatest sporting upsets of all time Mike Tyson was beaten by which 42-1 to 1 long shot in 1990? Um, I think it was in Japan.
10: Buster Douglas.
6: There he goes,
10: all the way, up into the stone, what a hit into the first tier! that's hitting a cricket ball.
2: Exactly right Joe, 42 to 1, Smithy, you wouldn't mind having uh, 10 bucks on that. Yeah I remember that fight very well actually so I'd have gotten that one as well
3: but um, yeah that, that was some turn up for the books because at that stage everyone thought that Mike Tyson would just barrel everyone in the first uh, minute or two of each fight so uh, Buster Douglas got through that and uh, outstanding yeah amazing, amazing memory in boxing
2: Yeah fought at the Tokyo Dome at 9am in the morning, uh, Douglas ta- KO'd Tyson in the 10th round Alright final question Joe if you get this right you will win $50 from the TAB. Len Wickwar. Len Wickwar holds the Guinness Book of World Records crown for the most professional boxing fights. How many bouts did Wickwar compete in? 327, 437, or 472? Um.
4: So, what were the guesses of the game?
2: 327 fights, 437 fights, or 472 professional fights. I'll
4: go for 472, it's a guess. I wouldn't know who that was.
2: That's like a couple of chips, don't we get. Right in the slot, under where it goes. Yep, Len Wickwar from the UK, 472 professional fights between 1928 and 1947, 342 wins and 86 losses, Smithy. Quite amazing, fighting over 19 years, 472 fights.
3: I haven't never seen a picture of Len, but I'm pretty sure he would have had a flat nose. (laughs) Uh, And the other thing I would imagine, he might have had a bout or two, concussion over the years too, but probably had a... A couple of sips of whiskey to get over it. So, anyway, well done, Joe. You've been outstanding in your chosen subject of boxing. Well done, mate. And uh, stay on the line, and uh, we'll get you... Brian will get your details off you, and uh, we'll get those vouchers out to you quick, smart. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Good on you, mate. Okay, 11.36 here on SENZ. Uh, Just looking at my run sheet here. We can uh, take some calls and texts from you guys. uh, free Uh, We can go through the schedule, too, of uh, the upcoming events for the Paralympics, starting at 12.30 this afternoon. Uh, And then, of course, Mark Stafford before midday.
1: Baz hits bombs from the middle. I hit them off the tee. Baz and Lizzie for breakfast on SENZ.
3: Smithy and the famous Joes in boxing. Joe Louis. Joe Lewis, I should say. Joe Lewis. Uh, Joe Lewis Barrow, he was, in fact, the, the brown bomber. Uh, one of the legends and most influential boxers of all time. Who could ever forget um, Joe Lewis? Yeah, absolutely. Other uh, texts that have come in too. Uh, Cameron Smith is the John Eels of rugby. That's from Jordan. Certainly is. Uh, remember John Eels's name uh, was Nobody. Uh, that was just one of the great nicknames in sport, Nobody, because nobody's perfect. And uh, you kind of sense in a rugby league form that Cameron Smith is very, very close to that. Uh, some of the hearing, Cameron Smith got me thinking of league in general. I was at the Warriors' first game versus Brisbane. It was so exciting seeing the Warriors run out, led by Dean Bell. It was a great game, even though the Warriors lost. It was history, mate. That's from Carl. Um, uh, there's another text here. I'll get, I'll get the answer to a couple of, of these texts for you. I don't necessarily know um, myself. Uh, Ian, just interested if you can explain something old to an old man. Well, I'm an old man too, uh, Theo. Um, have noticed that Crickinfo has started putting a heart after some, not all wicket takers. I should be able to work that out, but I, sh- I really thought you'd be sure to know. Uh, Theo, I don't, so I'll look into that. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, also, another pretty sensitive issue, uh, one that I'll probably talk on another day in more depth, but yeah, I understand where you're coming from, Cam. Uh, morning, Smithy and Co. I'm interested on your take in Spark Sport and the fact that they have taken the game of cricket away from local grounds, i.e. Alexandra, because of money. Uh, Molyneux Park, great venue down there. I really enjoyed playing there in my time. I really feel that David White and his team have possibly killed the public's interest in cricket as some rural folk have trouble with the internet and cannot get the cricket coverage reliably. I know that is the case. I, I know that uh, is... Uh, that I know is... Uh, the Is the case, Cam. Uh, Just having John uh, coming through on my ear that he can answer the other question. We'll get to him very shortly. Uh, I I, I sympathise with you. Uh, I sympathise with those people that can't get it and genuinely love the game of cricket. That was the choice that uh, New Zealand cricket made, though. They knew that. Um, They knew that uh, they would perhaps uh, be cutting down a possible audience because of uh, the capabilities of the internet. Uh, But they they had to weigh that up against the, the money that would be coming from Spark Sport to try and guarantee a lot more of the future in the game. So they they had that decision to make. I'm sure it wasn't an easy one. Uh, The relationship with with Sky was uh, over 20 years, uh, of course, and being part of that, I I know that uh, it's a pretty good relationship too. Uh, But uh, at the end, uh, it came down to that situation where uh, Sky were prepared to let it go and uh, Spark were prepared to pick it up. And uh, in the end, uh, because of the money involved, New Zealand cricket were the beneficiary of that. Um, But a lot of listeners or a lot of viewers perhaps we're taking away from it at this stage. I would imagine things will improve on the internet side of things, but uh, you might have to be very patient with that. John, you've got an answer to that question about Crick Info and the hearts after the wicket takers, yeah?
2: Yeah, for Theo, thanks for your text, mate. Um, I was a little bit, yeah, confused as well. So when you look on Crick Info, you've got the batting card, and then below that is the bowlers. And next to the bowlers is what looks like a little heart, but it's a little downward red pointing arrow next to the how many wickets they've taken. So you click on that red arrow, and then it gives you a little drop-down menu, and then it explains each wicket. So each bowler's wicket that they've taken has then got the little blurb about each wicket. So, you know, uh, Mustafika Rahman took three wickets, click on the little uh, red arrow, or heart, as Theo liked to call it, and then it says that he's got AJ's Patel, uh, the off stump gets knocked out, and then he's got Doug Bracewell taking it long leg, and then he also got out Jacob Duffy uh, and New Zealand have been dismissed for their joint lowest ever total in T20 cricket, so that's explaining the little red hearts or arrows next to the bowlers' names.
3: Absolutely perfect. Hope that clears that up for you, Theo. If you've got uh, any um, queries about uh, what's going on in sport, um, we'll try and find a way to answer it for you. Don't worry about that, uh, JD. Will get his uh, men onto it. Uh, they'll be in the midnight oil. So uh, he came up with these too. These stats uh, on this day in history, by the way, folks. Uh, probably one of the most memorable days in our sporting history because today, uh, back in 1960, Peter Snell won the 800 metres at the Rome Olympics. Murray Halberg won the 5000 metres. Snell, at the time, was ranked 26th in the world, uh, but very candidly coached by one Arthur Lydiard. Now, Arthur Lydiard, of course, we heard about Arthur Lydiard with Dick Taylor, uh, so much of an influence on our athletes over the years. He he cruised through uh, the three qualifying rounds, three qualifying rounds running impressive times. Uh, the favourite for the world was the world record holder, Roger Moens, who uh, took the lead with 100 metres to go and seemed certain to win until, until Sur- Snell surged past him. If you've ever seen that footage of the Berg, Peter Snell burly-chested in that uh, glorious black singlet, um, that was all about it. And then minutes later, Halberg lined up in the, the final of the 5,000 metres, for which he had qualified easily. Uh, he ran to another... Very, very canny plan set by Arthur Liddell. He burst through the field with three laps to go and hung on to the finish before collapsing on the infield. Completely spent. So that was uh, on the track. Uh, John, uh, in the rowing as well, Um, this was a very special day because uh, one of uh, my most memorable Olympic moments was the Olympic 8, of course, winning. Uh, You were too young to remember it, but uh, my goodness, it was special. And uh, relived, of course, by... Our 8's not long ago in Tokyo.
2: Yeah, awesome. Like, What an awesome day in history. And yeah, a lot of people call this, Smithy, the best team performance New Zealand's ever produced, um, which is a massive call. But for those who saw it in 1972, this lives long in the memory. And for some, I think Joseph Romanos, one of them, uh, a very good rugby, uh, very good sports writer, he rates it as the best team performance by any New Zealand team ever. Oh, well, that's interesting. I'll just go through their names for you. It uh, should be a pub question. You should be able to
3: actually name uh, these nine people involved in this race, of course, eight and the Cox. Uh, Cox is easy. Simon Dickey, um, that was an easy one to remember. But Trevor Coker, Athel Earl, John Hunter, Tony Hurt. I can see their faces, these guys. Dick Joyce, Gary Robertson, Weber Veldman, and Lindsay Wilson. Uh, I'll never forget it. Um, and Athel Earl was just such a young bloke at the time. His big, big beaming smile, I shall never forget. I shall never forget either Ivan Major. Uh, 1979, on this day, he won his sixth World Speedway title. Christchurch born of course, uh, he was uh, the motorcycle speedway rider to beat during the 1970s. It was one of the golden eras that we had in Speedway, uh, as, as well as six individual world titles between 68 and 79. Uh, three in a row, uh, of course, between 68 and 70. Major also won the Long Track World Championship three times between 1971 and 1976 and captained and coached New Zealand to a world team title in 1979. The legendary Ivan Major. Yeah,
2: this day in history, you know, when we do this next year, Smithy, it could also say Sophie Pascoe won her 12th Paralympic gold medal and 20th Paralympic medal overall. Of course, she races this afternoon. Well, I'd almost forgotten about Sophie because
3: we've been so busy with uh, Cameron Smith and Kay, but I shouldn't. And I won't, because this afternoon, of course, at 12.46, she's in Heat 2, Sophie Pascoe. Uh, And then if she uh, qualifies for the final, and uh, we think she should, she loves this event. It's one of her very favourites. The final will be at 8.28pm tonight, and I have to. I simply have to watch that. So uh, also in the pool, Jesse Reynolds uh, this afternoon. uh, On the cycling side of things, Nicole Murray, Anna Taylor, Stephen Hills, uh, Elcham Melspender is in there. Uh, and then a Canoe Sprint, and we heard um, uh, our chef de mission talk about that, uh, Paula, she said sc- w- she was looking forward to looking out for the performances of Scott Martlew and Corbett Hart and Anna Stephen. Uh, and in the early hours of tomorrow morning, uh, she'll be on the track in the 100 metres heat number two. So that is the Paralympics going uh, forward uh, very shortly, beginning at uh, 12.30 this afternoon. Uh, Staffy very shortly as well uh, as he takes over at twelve o'clock.
2: Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on Uh
3: Text message coming from Steve from Christchurch. Hey Smithy, do you know if there's radio commentary coming out of Bangladesh? Well, it's not coming through to us at the moment. Of course, uh, Steve, we're focusing in on the series between England and uh, India. Of course, we'll have coverage of that tonight, starting at ten o'clock. Uh, live ball by ball commentary. Uh, and a series that is poised very nicely at one all, and they will be playing at the Oval They get the the big London audience there, and the the Indian fan base there is very very strong, so they won't uh, certainly won't be outnumbered. And uh, I'm not sure that it's been such a fluctuating series. I'm um, I'm not quite sure who I would be putting my money on, but uh, certainly I know where I can put my money on uh, this afternoon. I can put my money on Mark Stafford, who uh, joins us uh, as we look forward to his afternoon show. Um, Uh, We've been, I I won't say guilty of being uh, overwhelming this morning on Sophie Pascoe because I don't think it's, uh, uh, I don't think I have a problem talking about it forever really, she's just so damn inspiring for me and uh, the Paralympics team in particular, Uh, Staffy, we all had a great chat with one of my legends. Uh, Cameron Smith, which jogs my memory to the point where you're going to be talking to a bloke you've been chasing for quite some time this afternoon.
10: Yeah, three or four years I've been chasing this particular gentleman. I'll save him till last. You mentioned Sophie Pascoe, so I think we are going to Tokyo uh, to talk to TVNZ's Michelle Prendival. And of course TVNZ have the broadcast rights for the Paralympics so she's got to get up close and personal with the team and um, yeah, just get her insights of being in and around the team uh, and she's very passionate about it so looking forward to that. Uh, first up we'll be talking to Dylan Boucher, the newly appointed CEO of New Zealand Basketball, tremendous bloke mm. Dylan Boucher so looking forward to chatting to him. Uh, Darcy McDonald, the Fox League analyst, uh, taking us through this weekend's matches. Had her on last week, and uh, the listeners loved it, so she's very thorough. Brett Phillips, who is SEN's appointed US Open correspondent. Love talking to him on a daily basis. And then the big one, Smithy, and it's at 3 o'clock. The one we've all been waiting for, Frank Nobolo, Mm -hmm. joins us on the show. Frank Nobolo for an extended chat, and I just can't wait to catch up with him.
3: Voice of um, Golf Channel, Um, so much commentary he's doing with um, Ian Baker-Finch, with Nick Faldo, so uh, I look forward to hearing um, uh, all about those kind of times with him because he's he's just jumped out off the fairway, of course, uh, into the commentary box, sounding very natural as well, and he's one of their big pundits. So I I really do look forward to that, Steffi, Frank Nobolo. Uh, Could you do us uh, and some of our listeners a favour, when you're talking to Michelle, could you ask her to explain, even though TVNZ are the right holders, there's been quite some frustration about the fact that they cut away from New Zealand teams' performances. And, of course, that didn't happen during the Olympics because Sky was uh, one of the rights holders and dedicated so many channels. So they were basically able to go live to any event that a New Zealander uh, was participating in. But that is not the case um, uh, in terms of uh, the TVNZ's coverage of it. Uh, I'm not blaming them for that because uh, they're the rights holders for it. Um, But if if she was able to just clarify that uh, and their position on that with the host broadcasters,
10: etc. Well, full disclosure, Smithy, I've actually just pre-recorded that with Michelle because she had to get on some transport to go to the next event. So uh, I won't be asking her that. I would have, but no, I won't be asking her that. But having worked at TVNZ for the main Olympics, you are at the mercy of the host broadcaster to show to, to play out what they are sending you as well. So while we ask for a New Zealand bent, it doesn't always come.
3: OK, staff, uh, look forward to that, particularly uh, Frank Nobolo, who has usurped Jacinda at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, my thanks to Trudy, of course, as always. Very, very good. Uh, Ryan, who's been handling the panel fantastically, especially jacking up that uh, cross Cameron Smith and the Gold Coast. And for so JD, who has been working very busy behind the scenes, trying to get the CEO of New Zealand football, but failing miserably. Keep trying, John. Keep trying. It's 12 o'clock on SNL. The all-new
1: SE. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.